0: podcast which is sort of an emergency podcast today but sort of isn't i will explain that in just one second it's matt today tommy is still dealing with work stuff but i could tell you based on the day we were recorded this he would have been here if he could but we have a great stand-in cory snyder one of the great people of hockey analytics twitter and people of hockey twitter in general Corey, it's good to have you on the show but i have one question before we get to hockey why the pokemon avatars i've never actually known the answer as to why you do that
1: uh, it was just something I kind of did one, one month because I thought it would be funny, cool. And, uh, then I just kind of turned it into a monthly thing just because, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. It just turned into a gimmick and it have kind of has a mind of its own now. So.
0: You're on Blaziken right now on Twitter. Your Skype avatar. Oh, actually I guy.
1: did. Actually I did change it. It's the first of the month. Oh, so I. Yeah. I change it every month. It's Ursaring now. Oh, it's
0: Ursaring. I wasn't even looking. I mean, you could forgive me yeah. for now for for not looking at that. Are you gonna get to like anything like Gen six or anything? Oh, Gen six, the most forgettable Pokemon generation for me.
1: Well, I only played up to game. I only played up to Gen three, so I just kind of stick with what I know. And it's a hundred percent random what I go with. Sometimes I just think of whatever's on my mind at the moment, and I just go with that. I used to kind of keep a theme with it. Like, when I first started doing it, I used the Evolutions, like I started with Flareon because it was summer, then the I changed...
0: Evolution there is.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to debate about that another time. Okay. But um, but um, then I I changed it to Vaporeon in the winter, then I changed to Jolteon the next month, and I was just thinking, why don't I just do this every month and go with something totally random, like just whatever's on my mind.
0: Yeah, and, you should screw with people by just having a random Gen Six Pokemon pop up. Just go to Bulbapedia and pick one, and then just do that to screw with people.
1: Yeah, I'm a, I do play the Pokemon Go game, and right now they're on Gen Four, so there's a bunch of shit that I don't really know what it is now. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well, what's the most surprised you about Gen Four? I've played all of the main series games. I love them. I will play them whenever they come out. What's the What's the one Pokemon in Gen Four that has surprised you? Because Gen Four is one I I I love. I love the the diamond pearl platinum games they were were a huge deal for me
1: well uh during uh during halloween they had a bunch of dark pokemon come out and there's a skunk
0: oh skunky and skuntank yes
1: yeah and it evolves just into a bigger skunk and i'm like "Uh, i think they could have done a little better with that and uh, i'm kind of noticing some of their some interesting like type mixes like there's this uh poison arrow frog pokemon i just caught
0: oh yeah yes and it's
1: it's poison and fighting which is an interesting combination
0: yeah oh shoot why do i forget the name of this oh, it's Pro- like progunk is the original and then the then the, then the other one i forget what it evolves into i should look yeah. that up right now
1: yeah like Cause... uh the gen 4 has been a little the gen 4 like <laughs> introduction in pokemon go has been a little disappointing because they're only introducing like five at a time so there's only so much you can catch right now
0: Toxicroak is the name of that Pokemon. I think I've probably used that in one run of, of Gen Four at some point. Yeah. Uh, try the giant try the giant scorpion next. That's poison dark. You'll like him. I do have that. I have the. Yeah, I have that one actually. Trinkeon's I think I... Fantastic. I love that yeah. guy. I I've used him in many different runs. I think he's a he's an amazingly fun Pokemon. Well, the, in the first Gen Four games, they introduced like two fire types, and they had a fire type guy in the Elite Four, and he was using something like. Low Lopunny, which is a bunny Pokemon. I don't know if you've seen that. And yeah, he had I have a Steelix. One of those. And he had a Steelix on his team, too. And he was the fire type Elite Four guy. It made no sense because the Gen Four Pokedex was screwy. But let's not talk about Pokemon for forever. Uh, I also want to mention one other thing before we get to all the crazy stuff that's happened on this Friday as we recorded the show. Uh, we talked before we were recording about DC Hockey Analytics, the only Hockey Analytics conference I ever went to. And I did that largely because I had to do a story for J School on it. Uh, but I was really going to go to it anyway. Uh, that was, it was amazing. It was four years ago. When you think about all the people that talked at that uh, presentation, they all got hired, and they all got hired really quickly right afterwards. Rob Volman's now working for the Kings. Eric Parnas, who ran it, is now with the Avs. The Canucks Army guys are now working for Florida. It's crazy to think like that all these guys, these great presentations, and now all of their information is lost behind the, uh, the whims of NHL general managers.
1: Yeah, there were some great presenters there. Like uh, Ryan was there too. He's still out in the public. Like I'm doing, I'm doing some stuff with him now.
0: Micah's and, awesome. uh, Micah also out
1: in the public too. Yeah, Micah. He was. Uh, yeah, he was one of my favorites of that day.
0: Well, because do you remember what happened that day? It was the last day of the season, and the Senators had to win to make the playoffs. And so we were giving him updates while it was happening.
1: Yeah, I remember that. He's also like, he's just a really good like speaker too like he knows how to kind of command like a room get everybody's attention
0: that was it was a lot of fun i enjoyed that immensely it was it was such a fun thing i wish that they had more it was just in areas that i could go to as opposed to you know living where i do now when there aren't many but that was a lot of fun and i was thinking about it when i was going to ask you to do this i'm also thinking about getting micah for the show and it's been in my mind a lot uh that hockey conference because it was great it's the only one i've ever been to and i'm not good with math but if you told me what numbers mean i can parse it out and analyze it better that's what we try to do here uh so now that we've gotten all that taken care of uh i was going to start with all of what you do and all sorts of great things and and the tracking and the passing stuff but we have to start with the panthers and the penguins making a crazy trade because this is a crazy trade uh I'm still trying to parse out what I think, although now, if you'll forgive me for an NBA comparison, it reminds me a little bit of what the Knicks did, although it's on a much lower scale of terrible because they didn't trade anybody like Porzingis. But they're trading for cap space. That's what the Panthers are doing here. The picks are part of the assets they could use to get more cap space, but this is really selling themselves to try to get Bobrovsky and Panera number one and two. And it seems pretty obvious that that's what we're going to try to do, but now that they've traded away players who are under team control to get cap space seems like that's what they're really trying to do so i mean you you have thoughts on everything hockey so when you see this trade and you're divorced from a panthers perspective like i am what was your first thought when you saw it
1: uh my first thought was like okay why are the penguins doing this right now because i i don't think they got significantly better with what they added they gave up a few draft picks they added a few guys that are under team control for a couple more years but uh, I just look. I just look at like what they add and what they lost. I'm like, is it really? How much of a net gain is it for Pittsburgh, really? But I do think. I do think pretty highly of Nick Bjugstad, though. That's partially because like I've seen what he can do when he's healthy and when he's playing well, and I think he'd be a great fit. Uh, I think he'd be a great fit in Pittsburgh, but it's kind of on and off with him every year, though, because he's having a pretty bad season this year. A couple years ago, he had the broken hand, I think, or a broken mm-hmm. wrist. Couldn't shoot the puck, and that's pretty much his calling card. So he is effectively useless. And last year, I last year was like a real like return to form for him. And I thought, and I think like if Pittsburgh can get that version of him, it's a really good trade from their perspective. I don't really rate Jared McCann that highly, partially because like when I track Panthers games, I he doesn't really stand out to me that much. Just kind of a middle six, bottom six tweener kind of guy. And, he was the guy
0: who was acquired, yeah. of course, in the trade for Eric Branson, and that will obviously make Canucks fans who are listening to the show have an involuntary seizure because that was a fun thing that happened in our lives a couple of years ago. Uh, Bugstad's yeah. a player I think all Panthers fans love, but he just never put it together. And it was for a while we thought Nick Bugstad's going to end up being traded. Like, remember, the Canucks wanted him for Luongo in the trades many, many years ago. That's a five years ago now. And the Panthers wouldn't give him up, and for good reason, because he was a young player at that time. He's big. He started out as a center. He's now playing wing. He's just inconsistent. He's injured all the time. They've moved him up and down lines. They've tried to desperately get him to play. You know the hockey we think he could play, and it just hasn't worked. And this is one of those change of scenery trades for him. I'm really happy for him because he's going to play a lot of playoff hockey. He's played one playoff series in his career, and even then he was injured. So he deserves a chance. I think if you put him with the right line, and you give him the right opportunity, he could probably play some second power play minutes, stand in front of the net, and be that kind of guy. He could also shoot the puck. Jared McCann will be a good guy in depth. He'll he'll kill penalties. Uh, I like him, but he never really developed the way I thought he was going to. But for the Panthers, this move is all about cap space. It's yeah, really exactly. about cap space. And yeah, that's why sure. I made the comparison to Porzingis because the Knicks are doing it to try to get Kevin Durant. Now, the Panthers are doing it to get Bobrovsky and Panarin. It seems really obvious that that's what they want to do, particularly Bobrovsky. I'm still not super sold on Panarin because of they have a salary structure for their forwards that they don't necessarily want to break, where Barkov makes the most. But, I mean, the idea of Panarin playing with Barkov and Dadenov is the craziest thing ever and I'm not going to think about it until it actually happens, but this is not a move where they're selling because they are still technically buying. They haven't really made their team worse. Brasov no. and Shane are going to be playing at least for now, but the Panthers could still flip them too, and it won't matter. Like They could get more cap space and more assets, which they could use to get better players, and if they don't get... Bobrovsky and Panarin, I mean, listen, they could, I mean, you'd have to use their own picks, but they still have the opportunity to trade for other young players. This is the first move of many, and while we are very cynical over here about what the Panthers are trying to do, you can see what they might want to do, and I just hope for their sake they can pull it off.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I would, yeah, like Broussard and Shehan haven't really played well for Pittsburgh at all, but, but I guess maybe in Florida they could kind of prop them up a bit flip them for a couple picks or something like that and uh it's prob and like you said it's, this is probably the first trade in like a kind of wave of trades they're going to make to clear out room for the next few years if they're going to go after Panarin if they're going to go after somebody else in free agency like maybe a Matt Duchesne or somebody like that or uh Mark Stone Or maybe this is the year an opera sheet finally happens. I never buy that when people talk about it. Well, you have to use
0: your own picks to do it, and the Panthers don't have their own second and third, so it'll be harder. Yeah. Like, this kind of seems like the first of many for the Panthers, and Broussard and Shea, and I I guarantee you they're both getting flipped. I don't see any way the Panthers keep them. There's no reason for them to keep them. Yeah. Because now now with Broussard, he's, what, the fourth-line center? Because Borgstrom's going to be the third with Trocek healthy, and... You could play Sevier at 4C and it wouldn't matter. Sheehan's a fourth line winger. You might be able to get something for him. Uh, they still have Mark Pesic, who I believe they're probably gonna trade, because he's a he's a decent player. And I think that there's an opportunity there for the Panthers to trade. Somebody would want him because they like Mekosh and they like Brown, they like Uyghur. And they need more defensemen. And, again, that's flipping out space. And the next big question is, what do you do with Luongo and Reimer? And that's another discussion because of the cap situation for both of them and Luongo's contract and Reimer's bonuses. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. But now they've got $21 million in cap space for next year. If they get rid of Luongo, Reimer, and, and Pesic, you add 10 more to that, then you could start to do a lot of different things. Now, they have to just do those things, and that is where my skepticism of the Panthers comes in. But if they do it, then it looks great. Because if you add Bobrovsky and Panarin to this team next year, then you have a lot of different things that you could do. And then you start to think, well, now they're taking the next step and now they're serious. But there's still coaching issues with the Panthers and other issues that you got to get in with. But I think the Penguins will do pretty well. I think Bukestad and McCann will be better than they were in Florida. They'll have an opportunity to be better than they were in Florida. I understand why if you're a Penguins fan, you're kind of skeptical about this because Jim Rutherford makes a lot of moves and then has to undo them because they don't work. You know, I I saw some tweets about that today. And I completely understand that. And they're not playing great hockey right now. But these are both young players who have the opportunity to to definitely get better with a change of scenery. And so I don't necessarily think it's bad right now for both teams. I think it's a win-win. But for the Panthers, it's incomplete because I don't know what they're doing with the assets they have. And for the Penguins, it's incomplete because you don't know whether these players are going to take the step up. And I hope for the Penguins' sake they do. Because now I'm rooting for the Penguins because I want Nick Bibbsstad to win, which yeah, I never that, thought I'd say.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at with this trade now. Because you have to you have to look at what what's going to happen like the next few the next few years with these players. And uh, Rutherford was Rutherford was notorious for doing that in Carolina too when he he makes a move it doesn't work, but he's very good at kind of cleaning up his own mess and making the best of a bad situation. And I think he did an okay job with it here. Like I don't. I don't know like I don't think Jared McCann is gonna turn into like a twenty goal scorer or something in in Pittsburgh. I think Bukestad could do well with the line mates he's gonna get there. But uh but it's not really a certainty and they took on some long some long term money too, but they're also if Bukestad if Buchstack plays well in Pittsburgh, they have a good cost control player for a few more years. And that's what they need right now.
0: Two more years at 4.1. If he plays well, that's a bonanza of a contract.
1: Yeah. And it's, but like you has been so extreme on just uh, like his result, his results have just been so extreme, like point wise, that it could also be like a very bad situation for them. If he doesn't turn it around
0: there. Well, now (laughs) he's just, he's just put himself in the, you know, bit longer term mess with players like Pearson and, and yeah you know, giving brian russ that contract like this could work and then it also might not and if it does they're in cap hell yeah they're in cap hell issues with,
1: come in they're uh, in cap hell without any assets too so they're like
0: well they, now they have what one pick they have their first round pick they have buffalo's fourth and like no other draft picks
1: yeah like knowing that, pittsburgh pittsburgh tends to trade away their first round pick every year to go for the Cups. so well, that's I prob- don't think
0: they can because they don't really have the space to do that anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I saw something about them being interested in Michael Furland, and I don't know if that's going to happen now with this trade because they just gave up three picks.
0: Yeah, they, they don't really have the room to do that. I mean, for for the Panthers, it's, again, it's a matter of whether this turns into something going forward. I, I said they needed more picks. They need more prospects. They need the system to be deeper. They need to get more young and talent, particularly on the blue line. And if it works, then they've set themselves up for a really, really promising future. But then again, I thought this before this season, and then they screwed that up. Here's the thing, though, with Dale Talon, and I don't want to spend too much time talking only about Florida because you do a lot of great work, and I want to get into that. But Dale Talon usually is the archetype of a bad GM. And while there are certainly moves he's made that have been not good – you can't really say that a lot of the moves he hasn't made are, are, are they're pretty good like this on its face if it works out is not a bad trade like the Hoffman move was an amazingly smart move and Hoffman's been great he also signed up Getty Dadunov for nothing and I compare that to Riley Smith and Jonathan Marsh because I'm contractually obligated to but <laughs> would you rather take Smith and Marsh or, or Hoffman and Dadunov and I'm biased but I'd take the latter so a lot of the moves he's made have actually kind of worked it's just It hasn't come together, I think, largely because of coaching. And also, you know, he is working for not the best owners in hockey. So there's that, too. But I I think Dale Talon gets far more crap than he deserves from general hockey fans. When a lot of the moves he makes, if you just look at them on their face, they're very decent moves. And a lot of them make sense.
1: Yeah, like, my thing with GMs is that you kind of have to evaluate them on just how I like I don't really think highly of a lot of GMs based on like just the moves they make in general. And Talon Talon's always been kind of a very a very interesting kind of very interesting like GM to me. Even going back to when he was in Chicago, because uh, like the whole tank season, I remember it happened because they after they signed uh, they signed Adrian coin and a bunch of other guys to long term contracts. It didn't work, then the Hawks ended up being terrible. And they, I think that's how they got Taves or Kane. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but uh, I just remember he tried. I just remember him trying to win one year and it not really working out, and they kind of had to rebuild. And uh, I remember that first year in Florida where he signed a few. He signed a ton of players to long-term he signed contracts. Everybody because. Because, to get to the cap floor, I remember that because they had like yeah.
0: 11 million bucks on the books. They signed Fleischman and Versteeg, and, and
1: they won their division.
0: And they won the division. The and Panthers then next only year, good this year in these years with flukes when everybody else around them was terrible. Because you remember that year, the Caps were awful. Mhm. Yeah, bad. Dale
1: Hunter. Yeah,
0: they still ended up winning a playoff series that year. They beat the Bruins. Yeah, but the Panthers won the division, got bad luck in that series against New Jersey and lost in all the preposterous overtimes then in 2016 everybody in the atlantic sucked everyone was garbage like the red wings were on their last gas the lightning had a stamkos injury price got hurt and they ran away with the division and then they got lucked to death against the islanders they should not have lost that series that's the most frustrating thing
1: yeah i i actually have a uh, uh a few years ago like i went in depth on every playoff series from that year and that was definitely one of the weirder ones I've tracked.
0: I mean, they lost three games in overtime. They kicked the stuffing out of the Islanders in every single game in that series. And every, lost in six. And mean, the Panthers Al, went mad.
1: I mean, Alan Klein scored a no goal. Like, who? Like who is Alan Klein?
0: I don't even know. I think the exactly. now. And I was just like, are you serious? And, like, that yeah. was where Trocheck was tripped on an empty net. And if it was a regular season game, that would have been called... They would have been an empty net goal and there would have been a game seven who knows if they would have won it but i mean Trocheck and bukestad were hurt at one point the panthers had made some really bizarre trades like teddy purcell and yuri hoodler like that was three years ago and that's how crazy this was but like a lot of the panthers bad stuff is coming largely not from talon i mean when you think about it with talon in essence like what gm in hockey to this point has been forced out of his job or attempted to be forced out of his job multiple times, which he was in 2016. And then because it went so catastrophically badly, the team basically had to go back to him and say, hi, Dale, can you come and fix this mess you didn't make and we, you know you wouldn't have made, but now you have to fix anyway because we have nowhere else to go. And he yeah. had the ability to tell them not to F themselves like most people would, but to say, yeah, I'm going to see this through. Like, what other, not just GM, but who else in life would do that? Like, that takes some amazing stones and amazing courage to go in to do that. And he's yeah, like, people that tried to fire him multiple times and couldn't.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really, like, that keen to, the, to, like, the details of what was going on there. Like, because I just know Florida was, I just know there was a lot of shit going on in Florida that year. And I remember they had new ownership. Tom Rowe came in and decided to coach the team that didn't go so well and he wasn't
0: actually the gm let's be honest he was he was a a meat shield for i just
1: remember he was the coach at one point too. he ended up being
0: the coach when they fired gallant because gallant was really pissed with what was going on with the front office telling him what to do and like line combination things like you know when tom dundon said he's going to be in the meetings with rod brindamore about like line combos and stuff i had a flashback to what i had in 2016 with gallant and i was just like are you kidding (laughs) Now it's worked out better for the Hurricanes. Let's be honest in that season, but that season set the Panthers back three years.
1: That was, yeah, that was weird. Like that, that whole that whole thing was weird, and I just I just hated how it like made. I I just hate how it made like I don't know some some of the people like some of the people that got hired by Florida like a couple of my friends did like people in the media kind of took shots at them in a in a bad way and. And that just kind of pissed me off a lot because well, nobody really knew what they were doing exactly. They just kind of assumed, like, they just kind of assumed what was going on.
0: I like, from, tell afar. You from what and, I've heard about what was happening, let's just say that I think the ideas were right. I agree with the approach, but if they had hired Kyle Dubas, none of the crap that happened would have happened. I'll yeah,
1: and there was just, like I, like I said, I, I don't really know the details of what was going on there. I just know it looked like a total mess from the outside. It was a total and mess from the inside, too. And, well, yeah, and I know I know a lot of people, I know some people, like, well, I've heard some stuff, like, saying people were avoiding Florida, like, avoiding Florida like they didn't want to sign there didn't want to go there just because it looked like a total mess it looked like nobody knew what they were doing nobody knew who was in charge that was kind of the main thing yep and it was just like and then there was the whole then there was the whole thing of the expansion draft them trying to undo everything and it just the
0: the, the Riley Smith and Marcia so decisions were 100% based on money and I will go to my grave saying that because they did not want to pay riley smith's contract which dale talon didn't sign and they didn't want to pay marcia so the money that he was going to make which is understandable after all the money that they had lost firing so many people and losing playoff revenue and losing ticket revenue the panthers are a team that where the money really does matter and you have to follow all the little breadcrumbs and that's why a lot of what happened happened and left yes it was stupid if they had money they wouldn't have done it but in the end they still got Dadenoff and hoffman and traded up now it hasn't led to them doing anything so, anyway, yeah, that, the, the point is, it's it, yeah. that that whole mess is complicated. We've rehashed this all the time on this podcast. I don't want to do it again, but that's a a lot of things that that happened there. And the Panthers are still trying to dig their way out of that. And one day they might, just because Alexander Barkov is a god and I love him.
1: But well, yeah, the thing with Florida is like I noticed uh, like when I track their games, there is some real high end talent on that team. Like, like you should be able to win with with Barkov as your one C. Trocheck's a very good two C. Although Trochek's had a bit of an interesting dynamic going on between like some of his individual stats and his like, and his underlying numbers, like his on ice numbers are like last year, his on ice numbers just took a huge dip, but he was still putting up a lot of points and he was still grading well in all the stats I track. Like he was setting up a lot of shots, taking a lot of shots. He's one of the, he's one of the top players in terms of zone entries in my tracking too. So I don't. I don't exactly know what is going on there but he's always been kind of an interesting player to me
0: he's fascinating because sometimes he gets hothead is not the word i think the term i would use but sometimes he gets really frustrated so he decides to go i'm gonna do this all myself i don't like my line mates and last year he was playing with about 70 different terrible line mates all the time
1: yeah there's a lot of jamie, jamie mcginn <laughs> yep types um. thankfully
0: <laughs> he was sent to the minors so like that's he would try to play like hero ball all the time do it himself and it didn't work and that's why his underlying numbers. But this year, when they played him with better line mates, he still had bad numbers because he sometimes runs around a little bit crazy. He sometimes could play a little unhinged. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. That's just who he is as a player, and he's a lot of fun. He's an emotional guy. He, he, when he's great, he's great. He's such a great player to watch. But sometimes when he plays unhinged, he plays disconnected from his line mates and disconnected from whatever system the Panthers are using at the time. And so that's usually where it comes, just from a my untrade hockey eye, where I can see him just trying to do things that are a little bit crazy, and yeah, I do work. see
1: that. Yeah, I do see that. He is a bit of a, uh, yeah, he's a bit of like a loner out there, like on the ice. I don't know if that's just the product of playing with bad line mates last year, but he does try to kind of do it all himself out there, and it's a it's it's an okay quality to have. Like Taylor Hall does that a lot too, when he and he dominates out there, but. Mm-hmm like Trocek's not as talented as Taylor Hall, so maybe that's kind of where the uh, difference is.
0: Tommy has been talking about him playing on the wing a lot in the future, and I can see that because you can play more unhinged on the wing in that way as opposed to being a two-center and one that the Panthers use in power play situations and one where he is a number one penalty killer. And they put him out against good lines, so that's, that's one of the things with Trocek that's frustrating. But again, it's like Dadnoff's really good one of the most criminally underrated forwards in the league, like actually underrated, not Barkoff underrated because no one watches the Panthers. Jonathan Huberto is great, another player that I think no Panthers fan will ever say a bad word about ever. He's, he's amazing. You know, but it, there's also the thing I want to talk about with you and, and, and grading out with what you track and with this team, and then we'll get some more of it in general. Uh, this team is weird because you look at some of their shot numbers and you will see that they're not that terrible at it. They're in the top half in terms of just basic shot, like score Justin Corsi. But when you watch them play, and we've been talking about this on this show, and I know you and I were talking pre-pod about this, where they take shots, what they do when they take shots, and the way that they're set up to play is odd. And the Montreal game a couple of weeks ago, where they had 50-plus shots on anti D M B but had less high-danger chances, was kind of the way that we here elucidated the point of this is why the system doesn't work, you know. And then you, and you are, again, are more neutralized than the Panthers, so you see this in a different perspective than I, Tommy and I do when we watch the team. So when you watch them, do you see what we're seeing? Like, they take random point shots. They don't pass the puck particularly well. They don't cycle nearly as well as other teams do. It's really evident when you watch to play a team like the Lightning or the Leafs that cycle all the time, and the Panthers never do that, you know what do you think when you watch? like you see what we're seeing right kind of like you can see their shot metrics are good but then you wonder like oh then why aren't they playing better and you watch them play and you're like oh i can see that now
1: yeah so what i do with my tracking is uh a lot of it is based off well a lot of it is like based off ryan stimpson's work with the passing project and basically yeah
0: he is please read his stuff it's fantastic
1: yeah, he is one of the best uh, people, like just and in hockey still Twitter right publicly,
0: now. Publicly, so thankfully we still have that information.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's a brilliant guy, a great person too. But um, basically, what he started doing was tracking—he was tracking shots, but also tracking passes and where the passes came from. So what we do is we track whenever there's a shot, we track the last three passes, who made the pass and where the passes came from, like if they're from the left, center, or right lane. And we also track what types of passes they are, if they're from behind the goal line, if they cross the middle of the slot, or if they go back to the point. We also track stretch passes, but that's uh, something Something that uh, I don't think Ryan's really, I don't think we've really looked into that yet, like as far as like the effectiveness there, if they lead to anything, but the behind the net and cross slot passes are known as high danger passes. And those have a high percentage of lead, of leading to goals, whereas point shots have a less chance of leading to goals. And uh, we call those low to high passes, or that's what uh, Ryan has categorized them at. As and uh, Florida, like Florida, what's interesting to me is when I track the games I've tracked for them this year. This is about 13 games. They have a very good shot differential. Uh, they have, they're owning about 55% of the shots they only own about 51% of the scoring chances though. so there's a there is a drop off there like they should still be a little better but they don't really they're very bad at getting passes across the slot and i just made a uh, i just made a viz on tableau comparing how each team passes the puck basically looking at how they create and how they defend uh It's basically looking at how well they defend and how well they create high-danger passes in Florida is, like, teetering the line of bad offense and bad defense and bad offense and good defense. So, they got a bit of a passing
0: problem. They do. And when you watch them play, when you look at their zone entries, they're not a bad zone entry team. And, like, they're they're not terrible at that. But then it always, back for a point shot. Back for a point shot. And also, when you look at some of the heat maps with Micah's heat maps and you look at the Panthers— There's a giant blue area in front of the net and in the slot and then there's a lot of red at the top of the circles and then when you look at them defensively they take away the points but there's a lot of stuff in front of the net and when you watch it then you're going that's systemic that's what they want to do and point shots are not terrible but the panthers defense isn't you know scoring a ton of goals like aaron ekblad and and Keith andel's points mainly come on the power play and the panthers have a very good power play But most of the other defensemen, they don't play like that. And the point shots are bad. Because if you've got Alexander Barkov, who a couple of years ago, you remember him playing with Huberto and Yager, and they'd cycle teams to death. Just kill them. Yep. And they don't do that anymore. And you're like, well, why wouldn't you do that? Because Barkov is amazing at that. And that's where we say, systemically, there's a problem. And, you know, they'll take a point shot. It'll get blocked. One of the defense has pinched high up the wall, and then it's a two-on-one the other way. And we talk about them also. They, the way they like to exit the zone, they like to use the walls a lot, and those often get cut off because there's a defenseman parked right at the edge of the blue line and the wall, and they can't get out, and then they get cycled for like 90 seconds. And they also have had goaltending issues. But when you look at that, if there's a differential between a team owning the shots but not the scoring chances, and particularly high-danger scoring chances, then that disconnect comes from system. And that's why we, Tommy and I, talk about this. And you can obviously elucidate it better with numbers. We just say it more with our eyes, and we can just see it. And I love analytics, and I'll use them as best I can, but I'm terrible with math, so I can't do the calculations myself. But when you look at that, it's like there aren't many teams in the NHL that have that quite a disconnect between just owning the shots and then not necessarily the scoring chances. And that, to me, is why the Panthers are not able to get to where they need to be because that's just how they play. And they haven't found a way to adjust it. Bob Bugner's system is not really adjusting. And that, to me, is the biggest issue. It's not as if, like, Carolina, sorry. But when they just have a lot of great chances and they don't finish, it's the Panthers. The chances that they have are not high-quality chances. And is there any team in the NHL that has that big of a disconnect between the shots that they generate and the scoring chances that they generate? Cause I don't think there are going to be as many. And I've only, I only mostly watched the Panthers. But... I don't usually see that with many other teams. At least when I catch them when they play Florida.
1: Yeah, I've seen the reverse happen quite a lot. Um, I've seen the reverse of that happen quite a lot, where a team doesn't exactly a team it doesn't exactly own uh, shots uh, chances that well. I mean, a team doesn't exactly own shots that well, but they do a good job of like limiting chances. The Islanders were kind of riding that train a little bit. Uh, the Islanders were kind of riding that train earlier. The the uh, Rangers were doing that, too, a little bit. Uh, the Red Wings tried to, but it kind of just cave in on them. And uh, San Jose is, is kind of like that, too, but they also own chances just by pure volume because they just create so many shots and they do not allow any at all. And uh, there's kind of a big disconnect there, but that's only because they're owned, they owned like si- near 60% of the shots, which is just absurd for any team to do. So they're so there are teams that kind of have that disconnect, but Florida is kind of interesting with Florida is kind of interesting with it because they're not a sub like 50% uh, scoring chance team yet. So,
0: uh, and like when you look at yeah. the possession numbers, they never really get Sometimes they get caved in and just pure shots. Yeah. It doesn't happen particularly often. And yeah. it's just, it's weird. It's like when you look at the possession numbers and we we have, I think a basic understanding now as a hockey culture of, owning shot attempts and score-adjusted Corsi and things like that. But it goes more when you look into, well, they don't generate the great scoring chances that you need. And if they didn't have the power play that they had, uh, they'd be league worst because they do nothing five-on-five. Five. And that's a it, huge problem.
1: It is a little interesting to me like that they do kind of revert to the point shot a bit because I feel like the defensemen they have can definitely do more if they do get the puck because Ekblad has... Ekblad can creep in from the point to the faceoff circle like for a cross-scene pass or something like that. Ma- Mike Matheson's a really good skating defenseman, too.
0: He's had an so awful year, Ke- though. Poor yeah. guy. He's been really bad.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, Keith Yandel can also skate really well, too. He's a very good—he He's, he's uh, he has very good offensive instincts. He, like, he knows what to do. With like, like, he knows what to do if he pinches, and he knows, like, he can pass the puck, too. So I feel like there's more they can do with their defenseman so maybe it's just like maybe it's them kind of just trying to use like their defense to their advantage and they're kind of just being way too way too basic about it, not creative enough.
0: Well, their defensive <laughs> coach is Jack Capuano, so that might explain it.
1: Yeah, the Islanders they did take a lot of point shots under him too with uh, Hammonick when he was there.
0: And that's kind of what it is. Like if you had the defenseman like I'll just give an example. I watched them play Toronto and you'd watch the Leafs, very few point shots, cycle and cycle and cycle. And the Leafs aren't, you know, they're not one of the best teams in the league, but they do, they elucidate the gap between what they do and what Florida does really, really well. And that's why we we sat there and said, point shots are good, but you take them when they make sense. You don't take them every single time, which is what Florida does, especially when you've got the forwards that they do. And so that's just a systemic thing, I think. But it's also amazing because when you watch them on the power play, they don't do that. I mean, they do take point shots, but their power play is really, really good. It's one of the best power plays in the league, and you're like, well, wait, why do you do this in the power play, but not five on five? It makes no sense. It's like, how can you have this great power play that passes the puck really well, that moves really well, and then none of that happens five on five? It makes no sense. Yeah,
1: maybe it's just... Yeah, maybe it is kind of a systemic thing. Maybe it's just not being able... Players not being able to find any like gaps in coverage at all, something like that, but... But Barkov and Huberto, like they played it, but they've been able to play that type of style before. That's the that's kind of like the maddening thing about it, because you have players in your system that have done this before who can play that kind of cycling style, play a style where you work from behind the net more, look for a cross team pass, something like that. So, so, yeah, it is pretty frustrating. You know that you have players that can do that, but they're just not doing it right now.
0: And, I again, I will 100% subscribe to the theory that it's coaching. And most Panthers fans are not really Bob Bugner fans right now, but he ain't getting fired because the Panthers have had, like, seven coaches this decade, and they don't want to pay another one to not work. So, yeah, it's in unfortunate. Terms, it's yeah. unfortunate, and Joel Quenville's going to be the next head coach of the Flyers, and everybody's going to be very sad.
1: Yeah, I just pulled up their uh, – like, I pulled up their stats that I've tracked this year, and there's not really – they don't really have anybody making, like, cross-scene passes at all. Like, and uh, Barkov, his – High danger, like his high danger passing stats are pretty low compared to what I expected. Like even he's not passing the puck from behind the goal line there at all. So that's pretty, pretty concerning because systemic. Because like Barkov to me is a player that could like, well, I've seen him absolutely dominate from like the from below the goal line and set he up
0: is so scoring strong. chances. His vision is great. You cannot take him off the puck. And everybody was, there was the one Twitter joke. I think it was in like December. I can't remember who made it, but it was like. Panthers, here's the thing of how the seasons are going, and the Panthers fans talking about Barkov's penalty differential, and yeah, but I, I don't need to say more about Bar- Barkov than we already have, because he is amazing, and the problem is, it's like, y- you gotta win when he has a contract that is half of what he's actually worth.
1: So. Yeah, they they definitely re-signed him at the right time back right. when... Uh...
0: Here's the thing, that front office did a lot of things that I liked, the contracts they gave out, in many cases, Sans Yandel and Reimer were pretty dang good Barkov's being the best of them getting him in for 5.9 for probably the best two way center in the league that is Kopitar Bergeron is just ridiculous because he'll be worth 11 million at the very least when his contract comes up and yeah they're not using it the time properly it it frustrates the hell out of me because he's one of the best players I've ever seen play in the Panthers and I love him to death and I don't want his career being wasted I don't want his career being wasted by this crap but anyway we'll get back to the Panthers if the discussion merits it, I, again, you track all the great passing stuff. And for you, when you go to do this, g- give us an idea of your average night. Let's talk about tracking the Hurricanes. Did, you said before the podcast that it's an Oilers day, so let's not think about that. Let's just talk about the Hurricanes because that's the team you like. So if it's a Hurricanes tracking day, give us an idea of what you do, what your setup is, and how you spend the time tracking the Hurricanes game against, say, pff, I don't know, the Islanders.
1: All right. So basically, what I do is I got three spreadsheets open. One of them is for zone entries. What I do is I track, I track how each team enters the zone, whether or not they ca- whether they carried the puck in or dumped it in, and I track if I track if they if they make a passing play off a of zone entry, I track what I track that. I track which player on the defending team was defending the zone entry. I track if they dump the puck in. I track whether or not they recover it. I track all the passing stuff that I mentioned earlier. And uh, there's some other things that go into that, like rebounds are tracked with that too. Scoring chances are tracked with that. I track screens, but I track screens too, and I also track zone zone exits. Mm -hmm. And zone exits are basically how teams break the puck out. And I track which player which player attempts if or uh, when a player attempts to exit the zone. I write down who it is, uh, how they did it, whether they whether they did it by dumping the puck out whether they did it by clearing the puck off the boards or uh, just kind of clearing it out of the zone in general, or whether they carried the puck out or passed it to a teammate. And I also track icings and turnovers. And uh, I also track icings and turnovers like for uh, kind of just plays a consequence. And right now I track uh, whether or not they're pressured when they exit the zone, because that does make a difference obviously, and I also track if a player assisted on a zone exit and if the zone exit led to a successful zone entry, to kind of give an idea if teams are creating anything in transition because that's pretty important now, that's how goals are scored now, that's when there's space and uh,
0: well, it's kind of... Is everybody's so fast Yeah, it's like, you know, everybody talks about being a rush team, <laughs> but you know you, you get that sense the evidence of that, like how do you force turnovers and how do you, you know, how do you fly the zone basically, and some teams are better at it than others. Uh, the Panthers have, as you probably have seen, they have trouble exiting the zone at times, and that's frustrating because of the way they want to exit the zone, which, as I said, the wall, usually. And mm-hmm. I mean, but in terms of just a game, so you're doing all of that and you're watching the game, and these are games that have happened like two or three months ago, probably. They're not Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, I don't think you mostly do it with live games, but you, you have, like, if you're doing a Hurricanes game, you might be doing one from November now for instance
1: yeah i used to i used to go uh, i used to do live games just to kind of give people live updates and all that but it wasn't really realistic and it's kind of easier for me now to do games in a bulk like i tr- like i'll track like a 10 game segment of a team and it's just easier for me to kind of get an idea how a team was playing at the time it's easier for me to update pers- uh, ice time stats that way too mm-hmm. and uh and it's just, uh, I've just been trying to simplify things this year by tracking, like, by tracking, like, a month at a time. That way I can get, that way I can get other teams done out of, like, process of elimination and stuff, too. And at the and, end and of the you day,
0: also it, eliminate some games because if you're, you're going to eventually double up at some point.
1: Yeah, I, I do, I don't really eliminate games exactly. Like, if, if somebody wants, like, if somebody wants, like, a full season of a team, like, I'll do it. Like, I won't really cut a game out or not, but I will, like, if there's a game where everybody is hurt or something like that, or a game at the end of the season where they're benching everybody, like I won't, that one won't be high on the priority list because like, there's no point.
0: Yeah, of course you, you have a life too. So it, it it's, it, it's, it's, it's something that I can't comprehend how people do. And I'm not, you know, as I said, not a numbers guy, but when you track this, there's so much to track in game. Cause these are all little things that are happening on the fly so did it take a while because you've been doing this for a few years now did it take a while to get to doing it and getting a system down that made the most sense so you could get this down pretty quickly instead of having to scrub through nhl tv multiple times because we know nhl tv is kind of terrible
1: yeah it did take me a while to do it like i first started doing it during that lockout shortened season uh well I, i was tracking only zone entries and zone exits then and uh Eric Tulski ended up. Eric Tulski was doing his, uh, did his big presentation at Sloan at that time too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, he now you're uh, your
0: favorite team, isn't that great? Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool to have somebody like
1: that associated with the team you cheer for. And uh, and uh, I shared some of my data with him, along with his stuff from the Flyers, and uh, that's kind of when that was the that was when he made his presentation on it. It got pretty popular. And then I started doing it for the entire league in the season after that, and uh it took me it took me about like a few months to get like acclimated to it basically the entire lockout if i'm being honest yeah,
0: but since yeah. then
1: I've just kind of it's kind of just been my niche since it's, then. It's,
0: it's a habit once you get into it and you do it it's just something you can just do
1: yeah, and I've added stuff too since then because we only tracked we we basically only tracked whether or not the puck was carried in or not when we first started doing this. And then as time went on, we want, we should, we figured we should add some stuff to add context. Like we figured, Hey, we might be able to track defensive play through zone entry. So let's add who's defending the entry. And then and then uh, I started noticing how te- how much teams were dumping the puck in. So I'm like, maybe we should track puck recoveries, too. Maybe we should track where the zone entry is on the ice, like left, center, or right, to get an idea of teams' tendencies. And then I started reading a lot of stuff about about Ryan Stimson's past tracking projects, and I thought, yeah, this is pretty important to be tracking, too. So I started doing that, and I asked him if it was okay if I could like kind of take over the project so he could work on previous seasons. And that, and then I started doing that a few years ago, like two or three years ago, I want to say. Mm. And uh, it just kind of, that kind of took like a month or so for me to get acclimated to. But that's kind of the easy, that, that's sort of the easier part of tracking compared to entries or, or exits. Like exits are probably the toughest one of
0: all. Cause you don't know, because like, does a zone exit technically count if you get over the blue line, but it's in the second period and they don't get really the puck deep and then it comes back? You know what I mean, like, does that count as a zone exit? You know what I mean, like, you get kind of camped in your own half of the ice. These kinds of things. Yeah, you, like you got to be kind of more judicious with what is actually a zone. exit. Like, does a zone exit technically count as getting it over the red line?
1: Yeah, well, like in my system, like I like I created like I created kind of a tracking system for me, and I stick to it because I want everything to stay consistent. Because so for me, a zone exit is you gotta get the fuck over the red line. Because especially in the second period, because if you don't get over the if you only get over the blue line, you're still stuck out there. You didn't do anything like to help your team relieve pressure at all. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's always uh, it's always red line for me. I'm pretty strict with that. Like, you got to get the puck over there if it's going to be counted as a successful zone exit, because otherwise, then you have a bunch of like junk that could kind of make the data useless
0: yeah i I would agree with that because again panthers examples i always go back to it that always happens they always get it over the blue never the red and then defensemen are caught out for two minutes on the shift and it's just like really guys hello get get over the red for christ's sake and it's it happens all the time and i i would agree with you so when you now that you've done this for a couple of years what has been the biggest trend that you've noticed from when you started to now and like when you think about when you started the lockout shortened year That was the year when, of course, we all went ape about the Leafs being better in terms of their wins than their puck possession numbers would have indicated. And then they collapsed the following year. And the following year was the Avalanche, right? And those were the big, like, not test projects, but those were the years when everybody realized, oh, like, these guys are saying things that are correct. And it wasn't just you guys knew that. It was everyone knew that. That's when I started following it more. And, like, these these guys have a point. I'm going to look into this. And now... Everybody kind of knows it. Everybody kind of accepts it. But the style of hockey has changed completely in five years. So now, as you go through all that you do and you're tracking individual games, what's the biggest change from when you started doing this to what you're doing now in just terms of how teams are more cognizant of the things that you guys have been tracking as now this information is now something that basically everybody needs to know about? Very few teams in the NHL aren't paying attention to this anymore.
1: Yeah, this is actually something I did a uh, present, I, I did a presentation on this at uh, RIT over the summer. And what I did was I looked at my zone, my uh, all three zones projects, where I tracked zone entries and zone exits for all for all 30 teams during the 2013 season. And I compared it to the other three seasons that I've tracked since then. So that's 2016. 2016- so that would be 2000. No, wait, the other two seasons. So 2016, 2017. Hmm. So I looked at what the differences were as far as like lead-wide trend go, trends go. And teams were dumping the puck in a ton in 2013. Like the LA Kings style of grinding out games was very popular then. There was a lot of off-the-glass and now types for zone exits. And it was a lot of dump the puck in, get it deep, get a four-check going. Win the puck and get a goal off a deflection. Like that was the popular style of hockey then. Don, Don Cherry's favorite style
0: of hockey, basically. Yeah.
1: Since then, there's been since then teams are carrying the puck in more, but dumping the puck in is still pretty prevalent. Like there's there's only a few teams that carry the puck in more than fifty percent of the time. Like there's still a lot of dump and chase going, but it's better than it used to be. Like there's still like teams definitely caught on. Some teams definitely caught on to this. They're they're encouraging they're encouraging their players to make plays at the blue line a lot more now and defensemen the biggest thing for me was defensemen are way more involved now than they used to be cuz defensemen they had one job when they had the puck that's just slamming into the zone and now they're being encouraged to rush the puck up the ice a little more and that was the biggest that was the biggest thing for me like defensemen are way more active now positions are a little more fluid now than they used to be and teams are playing with the puck a lot more. they're being encouraged they're being encouraged to do so. And uh, even the last couple of years I've noticed some trends too like with uh, with zone exits, like teams are it's a little interesting they' there though because teams are kind of doing uh, this weird like high flip pass thing where they kind of just aimlessly dump the puck out into the zone and hope they can win the race to it and create a rush that way like there's less uh, stretch like it's kind of the new version of the stretch pass almost because I guess they figure a stretch pass is too hard so we might as well just dump the puck out of the zone use our speed to get to it create a mismatch that way and uh, a lot of teams are doing that now and it's kind of like it's kind of had an effect on the numbers too because teams are still not passing the puck out of the zone a lot they're not exiting the zone there's no team that exits the zone more than 50% of the time with control now and uh, it it's really never been that way. So it's a little interesting to see, like, some of the trends that are going on.
0: It's funny because, as you said, we now have this prevalence on speed. Everybody needs to be faster. You have defensemen that are not now lunking hulks of Luke Shen, basically. And they're moving the puck a lot. But it's just so fascinating. Like, that's the way the league has gone. And yet... You know, we still see some of these bad trends over and over again. But also, a lot of the trends from previous years are still repeatable. You know, you could see, all right, this team's overperforming. It's puck possession. They're shooting the puck just much better than you would ever see. And, like, we still see a lot of teams that find ways to not exploit, like, this system, but they just overperform. But it's not sustainable because it's hockey. Because hockey is, of all of the major sports that you could track with analytics, and I'm talking about the sports like, baseball and football and basketball and soccer it's there's so many things going on at once it's harder to it's still harder to track them all and now this gets me to the point is like because we now have the puck tracking and the player tracking that's going to be coming out next year for you I'm interested at what your perspective is on this because you know what what I can do to bet on whether Ovi's going to score a goal from the Ovi spot on my MGM app on my phone I don't really care about that as much as I care about how is this information going to make us more intelligent as hockey fans to figure out what's going on more in a more quantitative way? You know, that's what I'm interested in, and I will never be able to calculate the numbers or do the stat, in, uh, stat information get that, but you will. And so when you, see this in, when you see this technology and you know it's coming next year, what are you most looking forward to with that?
1: Well, right now I'm kind of hoping they have – useful data, if that makes any sense? Well,
0: it is SAP, so it might not be useful data.
1: Because as, as of right now, we don't know if this data is going to be public, and we don't even know what they're going to... They we don't even know what they're tracking. So
0: let's, so let's go for an ideal scenario where everything that you want, you can get. I don't okay. think that's actually possible because it's the NHL, but what do you think about that sort of information, and what could you use with it if you got all that you wanted?
1: Yeah, I think... I think we need, like, a season or two to kind of, well, we need a few seasons to kind of filter out what stats are important, what stats are repeatable at a, what stats are repeatable on a season level, on a player level, on a team level, and then which stats are repeatable over multiple years. Like, just to figure out what's important, what we can filter out, and what, and what we can actually use to predict how teams will, like, play in the future. So that's going to be the first. That's probably going to be the first part of this, because I think the first part of this new, uh, this new wave of stats that are coming is just going to be kind of more of an experimental phase, because it's because we need to see like what, what they're doing first and what exactly, what exactly is going to be available. Well, it's not as if like
0: the yeah. NHL has been great with this, these stats on, from SAP on their website. Oops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm interested in because I want to see this stuff work. Because it'll yeah. make us all smarter hockey fans if we do. I mean, again, not everybody's going to be interested in the raw numbers. But for somebody like me who is always like, well, what more is happening? As that's my journalist background going, like, what more is happening? And what more can we glean from this? And what kind of information can we get that gives us better perspectives on what is happening and why it's happening? Yeah,
1: I think like the I think like the big misconception going on right now is that this player tracking is going to be kind of like a magic formula that tells you everything you need to know about hockey, and I don't know if it's going to be like that instantly. It might never be that way, and hockey isn't an especially... it's going to be an especially... well, it's an especially hard sport to just to kind of get that kind of thing, because there's so much just randomness involved in the result too. Because you're shooting, like just think of how you have to score a goal. Like you're shooting at like a yay big target, going at like, going at a million miles an hour with a giant goalie blocking it. Or so, a big
0: defenseman coming to kill you. Yeah,
1: that's the other thing. Like there's so many things going on and there's so much randomness. Like think about goals are scored too. Because like how many goals do you see go off how many goals do you see are actually shot into the net?
0: Hello, R- Roberto Luongo was scored on by Tim Peel's crotch.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and, well, it can all go wrong. There's a lot of randomness that's evolved in the results of a game, and I get it. You want to, you want to minimize the randomness with, with this player tracking, and that's like the that's also like why stats like that's why stats like Corsi and why controlling the shots are important because, that lessens your chance of luck having the factor in the result. Now it doesn't always work that way, but as of right now, it's the most predictive stat that we have right now. And hopefully with this new pl- with this new player tracking, we can find something that's a little more predictive than Corsi. Maybe we'll like, we'll have to see about that, but I do think what we're doing now is pretty good now. Well, I think what we're doing now, like some of the advancements that have been made with uh, some of the micro tracking that's been going on, like with tracking passes tracking passes, tracking zone entries, tracking zone exits, all that. I think that's been doing a pretty good job of kind of giving us a little better idea of giving us a better idea of like how teams kind of how teams win, how teams play, what they do well, what they're weak at and what they can improve on because Ryan's done a lot of really good work with the passing project to show that like shots with a pass have a higher percentage of being a goal of, and that that made no sense, well, but shots with the pa- shots that come off passing plays are better than shots that don't have come off a passing play. Yeah,
0: I I got what you... I could get what you mean. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's so like, complicated we can't even say it right. Yeah, like the type and also
1: the types of passes too. Like we, if we see that a team is shooting from the point a lot, we know that maybe their course D is a little more inflated than a team that doesn't do that. Whereas a team that works from behind the net more to create their shots or is good at creating cross slot passes might be able to outperform with their shot differential better than a team that doesn't. Now, the only only problem is that, like, you look at, if you look at the raw numbers to see how many shots come off behind the net passes, it's less than 10%. So it's kind of a small factor, but a small incremental change like that can have a big outcome in a game like hockey where there's just so much randomness involved in the I result. I was
0: about to say, like, it, it's, there's a lot to track, but it would be so important to track everything because in a game where random stuff happens completely out of nowhere, it is the most random of the sports. Yeah. It, it is so important to have all of that nailed down because, as you said, you're never going to eliminate randomness, but if you can mostly eliminate randomness, you're going to be better. You know, and, and, and I compare this to soccer, and I want to get to expected goals because that's something that I'm... I'm not really sure about yet in a hockey context in soccer. Now I am pretty sure about it. There are some great people out there that do expected goals and because of soccer and how the sport is played, it is random, but it is far less random and there are far fewer things happening in a bigger space. So expected goals make a lot more sense in that sport. Now in hockey, you we, we do have people like money Pucker trying to do expected goals what do you think about that because for me i see it and sometimes they get it right and other times you'd watch the game and you'd go wait a minute something doesn't seem right here like you can tell when a team is battering somebody and they got walled to death you know the panthers are playing a backup and they turn into Plant for a night but what, what do you think about expected goals and is that a stat that is going to get better with time or are we just kind of scratching the surface with something like that
1: yeah i think expected goals can really benefit from uh from the player tracking, because maybe we get a more we get a little more of an accurate picture of where the shots are coming from. Because instead of using like a, uh, instead of relying on the arena tracker who does it manually to tell us where the shots are coming from, we have I guess there's going to be a chip in the puck to tell us where the where the puck is coming from in instead. The
0: players' shoulders too.
1: Yeah, so maybe that gives us a better idea of where exactly the shot or the puck is coming from on the ice. But it doesn't really take, like, I don't know if he'll take, like, pre shot movement into account and a few other things. Like, if a guy just jams the puck into the goalie harmlessly, like that, is that going to be a higher expected goal? That uh, is that going to be, like, counted as a higher quality shot than, say, a, cro- a, sl- a pass that goes across the slot, but it's from further away from the net? So that's, that's a little interesting. Like, I don't, I'm not familiar with a lot of the hard math that goes behind calculating expected goals, but I've seen the, I've seen the models and I've seen like how well they predict future success and it's pretty good. Like it's not perfect. Like nothing's going to be perfect, perfect in this sport, but I think it's, I can't remember if it predicts better than Corsi or not, but I do know that it's pretty reliable as far as that goes, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be perfect. Like just for the reasons I've stated, just because there's a lot of noise when it comes to
0: how arena's track data now. Well, it's also cuz it's not standardized. Like because for instance, Hurricanes, like they give them a ton of shots. Like and you notice that cuz you're a Hurricanes fan. So other arenas don't do that, and the problem is they're yeah, not uh, standardized. Or is it they changed that with the Hurricanes? They don't get I don't
1: shots I have have seen that and I don't. I as someone that watches a lot of Hurricanes games, like the whole thing about them getting overcounted at their own arena, I feel is bogus because they they generate a lot of shots at away games too like that's just kind of how they play it's what they do it's how they played for a long time and i just i don't buy i don't buy that there's any like sh- i don't buy that, that shots games? are being i don't buy that they're being overcounted
0: at home but do you think that of course because the the, the fact that the scoring is so different arena to arena like at some point that's got to be standardized too if we're going to get this really right though like, the same system everywhere. I know. I don't know if you necessarily can track it with robots or cameras, but everybody's going to have a different opinion, and that's the human error that comes in, and that's why the stats are somewhat tiny bit fungible based on where the game takes place.
1: Well, I do know... Well, I feel like that's a big problem, mostly with shot location... Which I I think goes into some expected goal mo- goes into expected goal models, but I don't know for sure. Well, like it... shot location is kind of a shot location is a bit of a mystery, especially in the New York arenas. <laughs> and as far as like miscounting shots, I've seen that happen. Like with the work I do, I see the sh- like sometimes a shot isn't counted in the play by play data, but it's kind of negligible in the grand scheme of things because it's just one shot here and here or there. Like there's not really one arena that's worse about that than others, but. As far, but the arenas definitely have no idea where shots come from for the most part, so that's kind of a problem that, they're gonna, that hopefully will get sorted out. But I'm interested to see how much of an effect it has. Like, what happens if, say, with tracking data, it's the predictability is worse than expected goals because that could possibly happen.
0: We don't know, and or about the we- same.
1: Like, it might be the same for all we know. Like, that's just the that's just the thing with. Uh, thing about this like it's a bit of a mystery right now but like
0: that's the the expected ideas like you don't know what the answer is we we don't have the ability to know but soon we will and then we'll figure it out and then by that we'll have more questions that we can ask you know that's how this all works and the mm -hmm. more questions we can ask the more answers we'll find and we hope we get there you know yeah like because at least for me for soccer with expected goals i don't know how much you follow soccer or let alone expected goals for soccer but location is Probably the number one thing that's most important, at least to me. I don't know how they're calculated, but location is, like, number one most important thing. And Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that translates to hockey or not.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have to see about that. So, But I'm generally a fan of expected goals. Like, I think it does a pretty good job of capturing, like, just how well a team is playing. And, uh, like, it's not perfect, but I, this sport is a little hard. Like, this sport is probably, like you said, it's the most difficult to really get... A full picture of everything and how to, and being fully like predictable. So I feel like this is still going to be a problem even after player tracking. Like, there's still going to be a team that consistently under or outperforms like their, outperforms their, uh, stat, their stats.
0: I think that's because again, goalies are voodoo, number one. Like, Luke Lamarillo was like, how are the Islanders cutting down their goals like this? And I said, some of it might be system, some of it might be just goalie voodoo. We yeah. No. Like, because if you put that goaltending on the Panthers, would they be a playoff team? Probably. You know, if they put that goaltending on recent Hurricanes teams, would they be playoff teams? Like that. Maybe. Well, yeah. I want to I talk about the Hurricanes now because they are a fascinating team. In many ways, they're fascinating, but no one talks about them because, like, the Hurricanes and the Panthers are probably two of the most irrelevant teams in just pro sports just because they're not good and they play in markets that, you know, not, I hate the non traditional thing, but. There's nothing, I've never had anything wrong with the Hurricanes. Now with Tom Dundon, I think more people were like, is this experiment going to work? But, like, everything that they've done, I've liked all of the moves that they have made. Particularly, I like Nina Ryder for Rask. I thought that was a really smart trade. And yet, it's like everybody wants them to do well. Everybody thinks that this is the year, this is the year, this is the year, and then it never is. But it seems like something's changed a little bit. Like, that when they play well, they play pretty dang well. But then they also have they're just complete clunkers and... When players leave the Hurricanes, they suddenly become great. Sorry about the Flames. So, like, as you watch the Hurricanes and you come in from your background more than a fan, obviously, because of what you do, like, as you watch them, is it, like, does it make it more frustrating to see what they do and think, like, they're doing all these things right and it never comes off, and then, you know, look at Elias Lindholm becoming good with Calgary. It's like, what?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Lindholm thing, I feel like, is less of a system thing and more about Carolina not having Johnny Goodrow.
0: Well, that might be that so, might be true that might be true
1: because like Lindholm is a guy who he's he played well in Carolina he always played well but it never really he just never got points like there were games where he could have had like three four or five points like Moore actually talked about this last week when they were in Calgary and like he was consistently one of their better players one of their better passers he could have shot the puck a little more that was just that was the only complaint I really had about him but he just never got, he just never got points was the thing like, and now he's got points because, well, he's playing on a top power play unit where he's getting a chance to kind of set up from the right face off circle. Carolina didn't really do that there. They played him behind the net more to set up Jordan Stahl from in front of the net. And uh, he kind of, and he got his, his point totals a little inflated now. And he, Carolina's never had a player, like, as good as... Well, Carolina hasn't had a player as good as Johnny Gaudreau in a long time, too. So that's kind of the other thing. That, and, might,
0: that, might be, that might be part of it.
1: And also, like, he never got to... He also... He did play a lot with Ajo in in Carolina, but Ajo's kind of taken a few huge steps this year. He's playing center now, and he looks like finally Carolina has, like, a legit first-line center. Isn't, he, so,
0: isn't it fun to watch? Because... You know, if you have a young, finished number one center, it's the best experience in the world as long as they're used right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is where uh, I'm a little more optimistic about them now than I was, like, say, a few months ago, even, like, even a few weeks ago, because I think the neo needer trade changed a lot of things, because at the start of the year, they went into into the season, they traded away, like, they traded away Jeff Skinner, and that was kind of a mess in its own right like what that situation was but at the end of the day they came into this year saying we're gonna be a playoff team and you just trade away it you just trade away one of your best goal scorers and you're going into the season you're going into the season banking on a bunch of rookies to fill that void and one of the rookies ended up being sent down to charlotte the other rookie has kind of been been wavering through the lineup they haven't really found a consistent spot for him yet and it was just kind of frustrating to watch it was just kind of frustrating to watch and just deal with because their forward depth has been an absolute mess this year they don't really have a second line right now they they have ajo's line and they have whoever else is going so that's kind of a problem in its own right jordan Stahl's also been injured for most of the season justin williams was in a scoring rut for two for two whole months that was yeah, it also killed some of their depth, but he's he's been a lot better as of late. Uh, pitching out a lot more now. Score. He's probably going to get almost twenty goals, maybe. But um, but things changed. Things have changed a lot the last two weeks, and it was only from a few moves because uh, for because a lot of this stems from Michael Furland and what exactly they're going to do with him. He's a free agent this year it's and it's so
0: funny that, that everybody is obsessed with Michael Furland now. Like he was well, a player for the Flames that was good and now everybody wants him because they think, "Hey, it's the next Tom Wilson kind of."
1: Well, here's the thing with Furland. Like Furland is the type of player Hurricanes fans have been clamoring for forever because he is a because he's that type of guy. He's the he's like a tough guy. Well, stand up for his teammates he hits people but he can also score he's really useful on a scoring line like he him and aho have some real have really great chemistry like they've like like he's found aho for a few cross seam passes this year he he's the type of guy who can like take advantage of playing with talented players like he's not the driver of the line but he can be like a like a connor sherry or a jake gensel when they were in pittsburgh like, they're always in the right spot. They know, like, what to do when they get the puck. And they the can get finish off chances. Yeah, he can actually, yeah, and he can definitely get them. He can, he can also kind of, like, well, basically he's a tough player who can work with skilled linemates. And Carolina, like, fans have been begging for that type of player forever. And it sounded like he really liked playing in Carolina, too. Like, he commented, like, he, he always talks about how much he likes playing here. And it seemed like he was going to be an easy that to resign but negotiations like just went south and i don't know what's going on there i'm guessing that maybe he thinks he can get a lot more in the open market because of what you said teams seem to really covet him like they from from the way the media talks about him and from the way from how much interest he's getting in the free agent market it sounds like they can they think he can be like Tom like Wilson. a tom, like a Tom well not even a Tom Wilson, like a Tom Wilson this year when he's actually putting up points.
0: Yeah, Tom Wilson if he's not trying to kill people.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And like
1: it's a tough situation because Carol because the Hurricanes, like, Skinner, it sounded like he didn't want to re-sign here, so they traded him because they're not gonna So they trade him because they're not gonna keep a guy who's got one year on his contract. And you, they sold him for a pretty weak return too. That yeah. was that was that would that also sat that well, sat very they poorly with of fans.
0: Box themselves in. That was like the only of the moves they made. That was the only one where I'm like, that didn't work. You box that him was in, guy. that. Well, that that
1: that move sucked, and it and unfortunately it defined the offseason season for most fans because he was a fan favorite, and he he was a fan favorite, and he does something that this team really stinks at, which is scoring goals. Yeah, and they kind of painted it as a. They painted it as kind of a culture move too. That, that also pissed off a lot of fans. And if, it,
0: if you sell anything about culture, I think to a lot of fans now, they're not going to buy it.
1: No, and it just it, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And also earlier in the year, well, well, in the Dougie Hamilton trade, Elias Lindholm RFA wanted a six-year contract for like around five million or something like that, and Carolina wasn't going to give him that because he was kind of a. Mi- his results showed him like his point totals showed him as like a middle six type of player. They didn't want to go that many years. So they ended up moving him and they moved Hannafin too in the deal, but they got Dougie Hamilton back, which and Michael Ferlin and Adam and Adam Fox too. uh, So that was a good trade. They got a good return for that. But basically the whole gist is there's kind of a perception that they wouldn't pay to keep good players. And, it's, and it, there was also the whole GM debacle in the summer, and they're about how much they wanted to pay an executive and all that. And it made it sound like this ownership group is going to be cheap. They're going to cut costs. It's going to be like Carmanis, but even worse. And when it sounded like they were going to, when it the news came out that they were going to trade Furlan because they didn't want to pay him whatever he was asking for, and we don't know how much that is, but it sounds like it's a lot more. It sounds like it's a lot more than we initially thought. It sounds like Tom Wilson, like isn't he like? Well, no, it sounds worse than that. It sounds like. Well, well I'm not paying six million for Michael Ferland. Yeah, exactly. It's,
0: it's just that I can understand you, that. You can't, you
1: can't do that. Like, you, you just can't do that, especially when you got so many young players who you got to resign. And I
0: think, that, that, you gotta and resign I think that for me, it's like Tom Wilson makes five point one six six. And that's a lot for Tom Wilson, but I can understand it from a Washington perspective because that's the kind of player that fits in there. And I mean, again, he plays with oh, he played with Ovechkin and off. so it's not like right. in, like. But but for Furlan, like, are you paying six million bucks for that player? I would well, that, be no. Fine but if a team was nobody
1: shot. thought it was six million. though. that was the thing. Like, people would have been. A lot of fans were like, if Furlan's going to cost five million, you do it. Like it, you do it, you suck up the last two years where the deals where the deals not that good, because you need to send a message to the fan base that you're in a playoff push right now. You're not going to trade away good players, and you're going to keep a guy who you're going to keep a guy who fans love and fits in here in every way, shape, and form. Mm-hmm. But then the ter- but then the Niederreiter trade happened, and which was
0: that, a spectacular trade.
1: Yeah, they traded off Vic- Victor Rask is a guy who they could not move to. They could not move him in the summer. Like they tried to get Montreal to take him for draft picks and they didn't they didn't want it. But they they got a player who is under team control for five million for a couple more years, and he kind of fills the Furland void. Like he plays a very like he's not as physical as Michael Furlan, but he's gonna replace the goals that they're gonna lose when they trade Furlan. He can play it he's gonna play pretty much the same minutes as Furlan did with Aho and Tara Vinan. And uh, and it's basically you, you basically you just replaced you just replaced a guy who you haven't even traded yet so that was a big like kind of vote of confidence for the team and the fan base and then they re-signed tara in for a very good contract that's
0: a really good contract too
1: yeah it's totally fair like i think tara Vine got a good deal out of it and i think the hurricanes did too mm-hmm. but those two deals happened and it was like okay this ownership is gonna spend like this ownership is going to spend, but they're going to be a little different about how they do it. Like, that was a really... That was a shrewd, smart move to get a really good player, like the Niederreiter rider trade. Well, that it was... was
0: the same concern that a lot of Panthers fans had because they've had notoriously cheap ownership in recent years uh, before Viola and company bought the team. And, of course, you know, when you invest in hockey teams that aren't very good and are not in the best places, you lose money. And the Panthers and the Hurricanes both lose money. I think it's pretty obvious that they do. They don't have good media deals. And... The teams have been bad enough for so long that the fan interest is just not there anymore. But the Panthers have actually spent money, and that's one of the defenses for why the Panthers are – not that they're bad, but it's, like, it's one of the defenses why people are talking about, hey, give, give ownership slack. They spend. But it's because they've spent in ways like – we don't know whether Derek McKenzie's deal, for instance, is insured or some of these other things. Like, where is this money going to? And are they investing in scouting operations or are they investing in building out you know the front office – to do more things than just spending on players. You know what I mean?
1: Right.
0: Like, they're, they're kind of there. Like, they're spending some money. But we're really going to see what they do this offseason because, of, of course, what we started talking about this was the, the moves that they made to trade to get cap space and picks. And you hope that that's what they're going to do. Because I, I, I asked legitimately, um, the only Panthers beat writer there is, George Richards, you must know what that's like because the Panthers, at least the Hurricanes, a lot of people working for newspapers that cover the team, the Panthers do not anymore. Uh, Like, are they going to spend money in this instance to get the players they need to put them to the top? And it certainly seems like now they can. But we were also wondering, would they spend on a coach? Because I think Bob Bugner's salary is a million dollars a year. And everybody's like, oh, they're going to get Joel Quenville. Except Joel Quenville costs like six times that would the Panthers spend money on a coach? These are the questions that we ask as like, you know, when you're in a small market and you're in a small market that hasn't won a lot, that's the number one question is, are they going to spend the money to keep the players in? And I think that the Hurricanes have done good moves. They're, they're, they're not that far out of it right now. They're only like, well, relatively speaking, they're probably, no.
1: Like, they, they had a great month of January and that got them back into the picture.
0: Yeah. I mean like the Panthers aren't really in it either. Like, they kind of are, but, like, everybody talks to the Panthers like, hey, do you remember last year when they had the best point pace in the league and they were just doing all the things that they were doing? And I'm like, that's not repeatable, guys. Yeah, Carolina is kind
1: of on us. Carolina, since the beginning of the year, has kind of been on the same path that Florida was uh, in the second half of last year because Carolina was, like, basically in a wild card spot for the entire season and they had a terrible month of December and they totally they did a total 180 in January. Mm-hmm. Like I think they went 8-3 and 1 or something like that and it's what is it was one of their best months in a long time and right now they just need to keep that going and they're going to be right there but they needs they need help though because right now they Right now, there's no playoff team. I think both playoff teams are, uh, both wildcard teams are in the Atlantic. I don't remember exactly, but um, I think... they need Montreal. Like, they need Montreal, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Washington, the Islanders, anybody to start going on a losing streak, because that would help more than anything right now, which is kind of a shitty situation to be in, because... Same
0: thing for Florida. Same thing for yeah.
1: Florida. Like, I, yeah, it kind of reminds me of where Florida was last year, because Carolina has played so well the past month to just get them back into striking distance. And right now they're only in striking distance. They still need to keep this going and they probably need to keep it going for another month after that. Like there's so little margin for error right now. The
0: thing, the thing is we're like Florida last year is I believe they were like 13 points back or something like that at the start to break. And then they just won every single game. Yeah. They just won all of them. And when they lost they, 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 When they lost, it was like, well, that was the end of it because no one else lost. Mm-hmm. If one of Philly, New Jersey, or Columbus lost one extra game, they would have been in the playoffs.
1: Right. One extra
0: game. Now, they would not have beaten Tampa, but the, it's so bad right now for both of our teams that just making the playoffs is all that anybody wants. Yeah, you know? that's kind
1: of where – that's kind of like the debate that a lot of uh, fans have with themselves right now because – Right now, if they make the playoffs, they're going to get fed to Tampa Bay, and that's – I mean, they're going to lose. Like, they're not going well, to beat Tampa thing, Bay in a playoff series. But
0: here's the difference with a Florida Lightning series. Like, that's really good for hockey in the state of Florida, if it happens, even if the Panthers get steamrolled yeah and that's it's different for hurricanes lightning like nbc to well, put those games on the golf channel
1: you know what well I mean? the thing with carolina is though a playoff series would do a lot for revenue and interest there like same with the panthers the, like the fan base like the fan base and the team would benefit a lot from even getting just two home games in the first round and i think like i think fans would trade that like over i don't know if they're going to lose, they'd rather they lose out and tank the rest of the year, get a good draft pick, rather than finish, like, 15th or fifteenth or 12th I again.
0: The floor. I, I wrote this for the rat trick, and I will continue to write it. I'm like, I'd much rather the Panthers stink it up the rest of the year, get Capo Caco, and then you add all the young players, and then you go, uh-oh. Then they're really good, because, you know, all you need is one really good young player. If you added Capo Caco to the mix, the Panthers would be amazing.
1: Yeah, that's that's why I'm a Carolina. Last year, they won the lottery and they got Spaschenkov, and he has been he has been really good, and he hasn't even like hit his full like stride yet. Like that's,
0: like, that's the kind of thing that I want for, for Florida. Is like if you're gonna be bad, just be bad. Don't be don't be mediocre. Don't be stuck in the middle. Like they are right now, 11 points back of Columbus with two games at hand. Now, they have lost all three games to the Blue Jackets. The only thing that's good for them is that they play basically the entire month at home in February. They have one road game before the trade deadline. So, if they're going to win, and they do play better at home than they do on the road, uh, so that would, be, that would be nice. But I think for most Panthers fans, it's just like you want something to believe in. And yeah. also, the thing is, if you're, in, if you're in South Florida, all the sports teams are garbage. Heat, trash. Marlins, trash. Uh, the, the, the Dolphins are trash you know the the the, the, hurricanes football's trash it's like i've always been just begging the panthers take advantage of the market you have and run with it make this your place and they can't do it you know what i mean and it's frustrating (laughs) as hell but i I mean like both teams are in just really similar positions it's quite ironic how both teams kind of are not the same team but it kind of feels like you're writing the same story about both teams
1: Sort of. Yeah. I feel like there's always kind of a kinship there. That's Although cool, like whenever,
0: like I always root for Arizona because it's like, yeah. if they win, then it's good for everybody in hockey. Right. Yeah. Because especially for Sunbelt teams, because they always get crapped on all the time, you know, and a lot of it is not just, Oh, well, people don't show up because the teams are run by terrible, terrible, terrible people in it's many ways. They don't
1: win. I mean, that's... And they don't win. Like, yeah. here's
0: the thing, the Oilers, everybody is yelling and screaming about the Oilers. The Panthers have been like that for the best part of two decades. And you know what happens in Florida? Everyone goes to the beach. You know, it's
1: like, yeah. What happens with the Hurricanes?
0: Everybody starts yelling about NC State.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Like, that's the difference. And that there is very, there are very few sports that have that dynamic in the league where it's like, if one team is so bad, it just depends on where it is. Because if it's the Oilers, everyone talks about the Oilers. But if it's the Hurricanes, well, what, who cares?
1: I mean, you look at Chicago, like, you look at Chicago, they've had rough years, too, like, attendance wise. But, and when they were bad, there's other stuff to do in Chicago. Not so much during the winter, but you got options as well, far I mean, like, as sports go the, here. So, thing. it's
0: like we were hearing about the Flyers when they were firing, you know, Ron Hextall. Everybody's like, well, the Sixers have lapped them. I'm like, well, the Flyers are still going to play in front of a full building every night, and they're not going to lose interest in the same well, way that other teams would.
1: I mean, there was actually some. There, are, there actually was some talk about like people not showing up to games. They were like the tickets were sold, but people weren't showing up to games in Philly. Like, I, and still, I, uh, I have
0: no sympathy for any of that. Yeah, because you know, you root for the Hurricanes. I root for the Panthers. I pay. Yeah, Panthers I know. I'm just saying, like,
1: is. yeah, I'm just saying. There's like, definitely. I'm just saying, like, there definitely was some kind of attendance. Kind of, there were there was some attendance problems kind of brewing in Philadelphia, but that was just the thing. They were like the Sixers, so you got you got options there. There's well, other like, things well, to do in like those cities. The
0: Sixers are really good. Yeah, and the Flyers are, you know, not. But even then, like they've won six in a row now, so it's like, well, what do you want to be, Flyers? You're not in a playoff race either. Don't even think about it. But
1: yeah, with Car- yeah with Carolina, it's a little like. There is a lot of fans that didn't like the win streak when it was happening. They won five or six games in a row. But like people were talking like, oh, this is what they always do. Like they never turn it they never they never really get anything going until they're out of the playoff race. But you look at the lineups they were sending out then. The team was ravaged by injuries. They had Greg McKegg uh playing second well, line I center. Greg McKegg. Well, I yeah, Greg, Greg McKegg, McKegg was actually We actually had like a four-game point streak during then, and it was a factor in wins. So it was like, okay, yeah, they. It's like okay, yeah, it's a little annoying that they're winning games when they're out of it. But you look at the roster they're sending out here; it's like they shouldn't be winning any of these games. Like, yeah, it's just happening. You roll, you just like it's just happening. You you roll with it. You you haven't seen good hockey in a few months now, so let's just kind of enjoy this for what it is. I mean, I
0: kind of say that too, but like last year with the Panthers, I was like, okay, they're playing well. They can't start fast. They always talk about starting fast. They don't know how to do that. I was happy they were playing well. I was happy they played well after what happened in Parkland, and that was good. And I was happy that the building was getting full, and there were some, I mean, full by Panther standards, which means 14,000 show up to watch them play the Coyotes, but that's better than what they've been getting recently. So it was like, okay. And then I'm like, oh, they're actually in a playoff race. Well, crap. (laughs) And then they miss it, and they're the second team in the history of the league to have that high a point total and miss the playoffs. they are just like, ugh, only the Panthers, yeah. right? Because they're, they're in, like, the, the same boat. Is that just a playoff games would be good. But then again, remember a couple of years ago when everybody was saying, hey, look at the empty seats, and I'm just looking at them like, okay, you're looking for things to make fun of. And I, that, that annoyed the crap out of me because, like, I don't know if you've ever been to a game in Sunrise. I have not been to a game in, in, in Raleigh. I'd like to one time, but like the like florida it's it's different like you have to understand the dynamics of how the market works and how the dynamic of the hurricanes in raleigh works yeah i, I don't know think most people understand that
1: i know that arena is kind of in the middle of nowhere
0: that would be charitable if you look out the arena to one side you can actually see the swamps of the everglades
1: yeah the i've looked at it road. I've heard people talk about it all the time, like Jamie McClennan is an analyst on TSN. He used to play in Florida, and he's always like the first guy to kind of defend that market and just give you a little perspective on where exactly the arena is well, and it's, how. It's, it's, I the...
0: would tell people, imagine Canada in Sunrise.
1: It's yeah. the same
0: thing. And the Panthers, the difference is the, they're not building a new arena. And, and also, again, everybody thinks, ooh, Miami. Well, no, that's not where that arena is. Broward County is very different and there's a whole history to that too. Uh and listen, I don't like having to go out there on a terrible toll road at rush hour to go to get to the games. But like when that build and they just they built it too big. It's too big. It seats like nineteen thousand and so when it's empty, it looks really empty. But yeah. you know, when they're good, people will show up. That's South Florida.
1: Yeah, yeah, Carolina's got a pretty big arena too.
0: Well, that's because they built it for NC State. Cause...
1: Yeah, that's yeah. That yeah, Carolina is also a place where, like, if you win, people are gonna come. But it, and it's also like if you, if you give fans a reason there, like, just to go out to a game, like, they'll come. Like the promotional lights are really popular in Carolina, and if yeah, what there's do you a think of Whalers Night, people like. I was I was kind of mixed on that just because I'm an out of market fan. I never had to. I don't really. The relocation stuff is a little, like weird for me to kind of process. But I think it's shitty that what I think it's shitty what happened to Whalers fans, and but there's a from what I understand there's a lot of Whaler fans like in that market down there in Carolina, and they have always wanted something like this, and they they loved it but Whaler fans outside of the market didn't like absolutely hate it. So like
0: to Jack Edwards, on I that did cast uh, the righteous. I've never seen anything like that. The righteous indignation that he had for what was happening. There was spectacular. And I know with Jack Edwards, it's a stick in many well, ways, but he yeah. genuinely believed it. And I was laughing.
1: Well, like Edward, I, I, I,
0: how is the, the Bruins broadcast going to take this? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I know it was Edwards great. is. Uh, I know Edwards is like he loves like New England hockey, so I can understand why he has some kind of like emotional connection there. But like the Whalers' night thing, I just kind of, I kind of stayed out of that. I wasn't a huge fan of it just because it's like we're the Hur like the team is the Carolina Hurricanes now. They have their. It's like they need. I, I'd rather they kind of build their own brand rather rather than kind of. Build off something that's not theirs anymore. Well, it did make the money. It did, but like they also the fan, like everybody that went to that game had like the time of their lives, and that that really kind of that maybe kind of ease off it a little so bit. The Panthers, the, the,
0: Panthers the had jerseys that. were nice. The, the jerseys Panthers were had nice. That, remember, remember the year when Luongo and Montoya got injured in the game, and then they actually did a promotion based off of that. I was like, oh, yeah. That was good, Panthers. And back when Kevin Spacey wasn't a horrible waste of blood and organs, oh, when they yeah. did Spacey in Space, I, I, yeah. I've gone back and looked at those tweets. And again, we didn't know what was going on with Kevin Spacey at that time. And now, I mean, it looks terrible in hindsight because Kevin Spacey's a horrible human being. But when you looked at it at the time, I'm like, hey, they did this properly. They actually built on a thing and made it work and got Kevin Spacey to show up at a game when there were 19,000 people there. I was like, that's what the Panthers should be doing. And now, I mean, they're not doing what they used to do. Like, they, they do something called Legacy Saturdays now, where they'll have, like, old Panthers show up and they'll talk about them. One was Brian McCabe when the Leafs played. One was Thomas Focoon. And one of the guys who, who covers the team, I think Jameis said for the, for the team, was like, we were, I remember watching those games, and when, when they had a whistle for a save, they sponsored the save. The save was sponsored. That's how bad it was. If you look at the empty seats, you can see the sponsorship tags on the back of the seats. Like, that's how much they tried to make money in every single way possible. And there's something charming about that, but I remember when they actually advertised directly to opposing fans, and it was bad.
1: I remember that, yeah, the promotion for, like, Montreal fans in Florida. They always show
0: up no matter what. And now, I've always said, like, if you're a Panthers fan, you need to be a cynic. Because if you are, you'll love being a Panthers fan. Because do you hate New Yorkers that aren't really New Yorkers that have lived in Florida for 20 years, bandwagon the Rangers when they show up? You'll love going to Panthers games when the Rangers show up. What about, do you hate the Snowbirds from Quebec? Show up when the Canadians show up every year around New Year's. Do you hate the bandwagoning Bruins and Leafs and Blackhawks fans? Well, show up then. Like that I've always said is like, if you're a cynic, the Panthers are the perfect team for you. Because you get to make fun of all the visiting fans when they show up, and they're probably also the people who say South Florida shouldn't have a hockey team. And yet, when they show up, they put money in the Panthers and Broward County's pocket. I love it.
1: Yeah, Carolina has uh, Carolina kind of has that too. A lot of visiting fans, but not as bad as yeah. Florida does. Well, I mean, it depends on the team, really. Because there's a lot of there used to be a lot of Saber fans that went to games there. Uh, Penguin fans populate the. If there's a if it, there's a Penguins game, the Penguins are in town. There, it's basically a home game for Pittsburgh.
0: Well, and that's, same that's with what Boston. I'm about to watch when the Penguins show up next week. But it's really the worst. Is Montreal obviously is the worst? It's gotten much worse with Toronto now that they're good. When the Leafs were bad, no one cared. Uh, the Rangers is the other one. I think most people hate the Rangers more than any other. For me, it's it's definitely Montreal and the Rangers, but. Like, it's happened with the Bruins, it's happened with the Blackhawks, it happens with the Flyers, and everyone talks about that. Like, I was watching the Panthers-Flyers uh, game right after the panthers Canadiens game, and I live it outside of Philadelphia, so I got the Flyers feed for that game, and they were like, hey, wait, what's the entire building filled last night just with Montreal fans? And I'm like, guys, you know that's why they schedule the game for that time every year, right? The Panthers ask for it and they get it, because they know the building will be full. Like Jonathan Huberto's little sister sings the Canadian national anthem during those games. They've leaned into it now, by, and I'm like, that's what the Panthers should do. But that's that's part of the the edifice of it. And I've always said, like, I want the Panthers to play Montreal in the playoffs just to see what happens. Like, there would be Habs fans there, but the Panthers fans would show up and they'd have a lot more fun, I think, in games like that. But
1: yeah, for sure. Like, that, if you a lot of well, I noticed with Carolina, a lot of te- a lot of Penguin fans there are also Hurricanes fans because they either they lived in the area before the hurricanes had a team or they just bandwagon the penguins or they bandwagon the hurricanes but a lot of them cheer for the hurricanes too just not when they play pittsburgh so
0: that it's happens a little, in florida that happens it, in florida
1: it, yeah it's kind of it, that So like those fans are definitely good for the market too because they might become a Hurricanes fan like as their second team or something, but they're gonna go to other games. Like they just won't they won't only go there when Pittsburgh is in town. So
0: if if Gary Bettman is so hell bent on not moving the Arizona Coyotes, he's never moving the Florida Panthers. They will never move. Like people are always freaking out that they're gonna move. South Florida is the transient market and it will always be. They will never move the team out of Florida, because then what are you gonna do with the Lightning? They just sort of exist. Like. The Lightning are good, but remember they were run by completely hilariously bad ownership in the past, and then they got a good one. So it's like if only the Panthers could get good ownership. But uh, I want to get back to other some brief hockey things before we tie this up in a bow because it's been already ninety minutes. But this has been a lot of fun. Um, get let's get to some other things that we've seen uh, going on in the hockey world. Everybody loves the Jake Buzzin trade. I yeah,
1: really like the Jake
0: Buzzin I... trade for both teams.
1: Yeah, I, I liked it for Toronto. You get an upgrade on defense. Uh you didn't really give up any of your premium premium assets aside from a first round pick, but it's gonna be a late first rounder. So if you're trying to win this year, I do I like adding muzzin, especially since it's a huge upgrade on what they were sitting out there before. Like uh, Ron Hainsey playing his offside.
0: Goes again, off Yeah. And yeah,
1: like uh it. it's it's an upgrade. Like Muzzin is a Muzzin's always been a guy who just like lights it up in terms of like Corsi and all these on ice stats, but he's like a legit top four defenseman too. Cause like it takes talent to be able to keep up with a defenseman like Drew Dowdy mm-hmm. and play in, play on a team like L, on LA when they were good. Cause he, he was playing a lot of minutes on those good LA teams. And I think he can probably do the same thing with Morgan Riley.
0: I would think that he could do the same thing with Morgan Riley. Although for me, like, I, I know somebody who ends up working in the Leafs organization. I hope she's listening to this podcast right now. Her husband works for the Leafs organization. He used to work for the Panthers. Hi, Mike. Uh, anyway, that I, like, I kind of root for them to win, but then it's like, well, if they lose to the Lightning, that'll be funny. <laughs> and, like, the, 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 like, like, what happens if the Leafs do lose in the playoffs? It's like, I, I want to see the Shane Freud of what happens. You know, because it's like, when good teams stink and when good teams fail in that way, the Shane Freud's fun.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just kind of the nature of the beast right now with the well, just the playoffs in general. Not only just not just the playoff format, but like not just the playoff format, but I mean, good teams end up playing each other. Not one of them one of them's is always going to lose. Like that's just how it works.
0: Yeah, and, except when the Devils make it into the playoffs. Oops. <laughs> and then we laugh at them when they lose. So and then we laugh at them when they lose too. I yeah. mean, I, I I talked to my friend about that. who's was a big Devils fan last year. I'm like, you know, they're going to be bad this year, right? And he was like, no, I think they have a chance. And then they're terrible. So, like, yeah, guys, sometimes we can tell. This sport's hard to predict, but that one was pretty easy to figure out. Uh, in, In other ways, like, what team is, in terms of, like, all the information you have, all the stats that we have, like, what surprised you the most this year? What team has been like, wow. I mean, okay, maybe the Islanders is the answer to that question. But there's been other teams this year I've been surprised by how good they are. I'm surprised that the Canadians are as good as they are. They're actually not that bad
1: with me uh i've been really impressed with calgary when i when i watch them like ever since the first month ever since like november or so they've just really taken off so i've been pretty impressed with them Redditch has been like just what they need what they needed like in goal two since like the whole mike smith debacle went about as well as you expect yeah like he uh like uh I just really enjoy watching them play. I think they, they're, they
0: played the modern style of hockey to a T cause they got the well, that could do it. Yeah. And Bill
1: Peters, like he's always really good at getting the best out of your defensemen. I think he's done a really good job. He's done a really good job. Like some of their, with some of their young defensemen too, like Chillington and, uh, Rasmus, Rasmus, Rasmus Yeah. Rasmus Anderson's a guy who's been like, who's been super impressive in my tracking. Like he's been kind of like a mini Roman Yossi there. Like as far as he grades out with zone entries and, uh, I I just I I've just been really impressed with them like the most but same same with San Jose too like I expected San Jose to be good but they're just like dominating and like and it's finally turning into wins like the past two months like the the past past two oh well like the past two well aside from the Florida game but like the the past two months they I'm like wait a
0: minute how could they be this bad
1: uh carlson wasn't playing that's kind of
0: classic we're not playing but they looked yeah. so disinterested in that game it was hilarious
1: yeah but like the past few months they've been like leg- they've been legit like one of the top teams in the league and it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out of that division
0: God, but, I, uh, right now it's like san jose and vegas might have to play each other in the first round and again yeah, vegas why the vegas is another and why people yeah. hate it but the first round's the best round of the Stanley Cup playoffs anyway.
1: Like, to me, it doesn't matter, like, what round you go out in. Either you win the Cup or you don't, but I'm kind of...
0: Well, unless, you're, unless your team's like the Panthers and Hurricanes, in which case just getting in matters.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, like, to me, to me, I don't really care, like, when a team gets knocked out of the playoffs, second round, third round, like...
0: I mean, well, the uh, Predators do because they held up a Western Conference regular season champion banner. I was
1: just about to say Ottawa made the conference finals like two years ago. Who remembers that?
0: Well, I mean, they were a goal away from making the final.
1: Yeah, that. They were at the time
0: of Game Seven.
1: I can't believe. Uh, you know, it's kind of surreal to think about that in hindsight.
0: Well, this sport is is when I look at the comparison to the NBA because everybody does that now, and I I compared the the panthers trade and the Porzingis trade like the nba's product is terrible in many ways it's boring it's more of a soap opera like the stuff that happens off the court is far more interesting than happens on it but it's marketed so well so everybody's interested in that you know what i mean like yeah I- if anthony davis becomes a laker i'm like well congrats nobody wants to deal with the lakers having all these players but it's like you know the product itself—it's like you. Can, the entire regular season doesn't matter in the NHL; it doesn't matter, but in the NBA, it really doesn't matter. In the NBA, the first two rounds of the playoffs don't matter, but like the, everything surrounding the NBA right now has made it just captivating and interesting, even for somebody like me who doesn't like it. Now the NHL—the product is as good as it's ever been. The actual hockey is fantastic in many ways, but they can't market the crap out of it. You know,
1: yeah, I mean, when gritty is your most popular thing and in, t- in well, there you ten know. years, so
0: like, 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 he, okay, maybe if it would be different if Connor McDavid wasn't playing with the friggin' Oilers and he was getting wasted, but it's like, you know, I want to watch these players. I want to watch like the Leafs and Jets would be an amazing Stanley Cup final, but it would be terrible in the U.S. because it's two Canadian teams that no one knows about, and most people can't put Winnipeg on the map, you know. But it's like the product's great. And that the NBA, the product, is completely awful in many ways. You know exactly what's going to happen, and yet it's captivating. It's the complete, you know, opposite. And that's why I'm saying, like, the Porzingis trade, everyone's talking about it all the time, and reasonably so, because the Knicks are terrible. But when we see NBA, like, I'm thinking, like, I remember the day, and of course you do too, when we had all those moves, Stamkos, Hall for Larson, and, and Subban for Weber. And if that was in the NBA, it would be a day that they'd have a 30-for-30 30 30 on of it, right?
1: Right, yeah. In, in
0: this league, it's a day that we all remember, but I don't think it barely cracked the news cycle that day. Like, because that yeah, was the craziest be, hour I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, it would be cool if they did something like a 30-for-30 30 30 or some kind of, like, documentary on that, talking to, like, to all the reporters and, like, the executives of what was going on I at the, the time.
0: Thing, like, like, wait, hold on a second. What now? Like, but again, if that was the NBA, like, how crazy would that day have been? But it's the NHL, and that's just the market, right. and the product, and that's the players and the the culture of the sport. And it's like, I always go and I and I talk with people about this, and then, of course, being who I am, I have my issues with the NHL and some other areas. But it's it's like the NHL is great apart from the NHL, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, hockey's well a lot of people call it the best sport with the worst league.
0: That's hundred percent
1: true. 100%. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty accurate. I mean, I... There's a lot of things that <laughs> there's a lot of things that just ag- aggravate me and piss me off about the, about the NHL. Cause they're just, com- they just do so much stupid shit. Like, and
0: like uh, I, I, I can't,
1: can't even that. scratch the surface of it. And it's like, but at the same time, but at the same time you have the best, it's the best players playing like, you're the best sport I mean,
0: and doing, going at a million miles an hour doing yeah. two things at once and doing it in ways that you just you wouldn't otherwise ever imagine it's,
1: it's like unfortunately they had to be they had to be sanctioned by a league that doesn't really know what the hell they're doing as far well,
0: as especially as, or, as far as
1: marketing and
0: well i think so i mean I protection of the players that all that like at least pk suban kind of has broken that mold
1: but yeah he's the only one yeah, I've, I've watched a little of that uh, it PK wasn't that project terrible, show. Actually, the PK oh the the PK project.
0: I think well, the, his comedy special was okay. Like, I'm gonna be honest. I had just watched a segment from James Corden that was cringeworthy bad, and the PK thing was was funnier because it wasn't James Corden. Oh, uh, I didn't
1: watch that. I was talking about the documentary thing. Oh, even the PK thing. project stuff is yeah. not
0: terrible, but you know, like. I want more of that in the league and that it takes a lot. And now we're talking about personalities with people like Brett Burns saying, Hey, Steven Stamkos, nice guns. And you're just like, Oh God, really?
1: Yeah. They, yeah. there's a lot of dry personalities in the league and it's kind of, that's kind of how the players are taught to.
0: And I, I, I am part of the group of people who are desperate for it to change because the NHL, I mean, if, if, if their biggest superstar wasn't a piece of cardboard, you know, can we David is a, is, is, a, is a piece of cardboard like why I thought we... you're
1: talking about Crosby I'm sorry Well,
0: Crosby too is also a piece yeah. of cardboard but
1: that exactly
0: they're both exactly the same and it's just it frustrates the heck out of me cause well like... like
1: to me what's to me what's frustrating is that there's there's a lot of good personalities in the league it's just not they're not featured as much like Carlson Eric Carlson's a really funny guy. Uh, Sebastian Ajo and in Carolina. He's, well, like, pretty, like, he's like been pretty. He's been pretty funny with the media this year. So.
0: I can't believe it took us long this long to get to that. The, the celebrations, I love them.
1: Yeah, they're. And yet pretty... the first
0: talk about them in the NHL is how terrible they are.
1: Yeah, it, I, I didn't quite get that, but I kind of enjoyed how much it pissed people off. That
0: well, I, again, cynic. If you're a cynic, you'd love the NHL. I mean, I love it. I love the creative ideas. It's like, wait a minute, we don't have to just raise our sticks to the middle of the ice and then leave. Why can't we celebrate these things?
1: I also enjoy that I was like I also enjoy that it was like Justin Williams who came with the idea who's the oldest player on the team, so it's not just like like it's not just like a like a kid's thing or whatever or one of So
0: But then this is the league where Michael Delzato complains about people playing Fortnite, so
1: Yeah, that... There is that too. Like I was hoping they would do like a Fortnite celebration at Center Ice to piss people I think off do, even more. I think so do
0: it at some point they will have to get to it. Because Why I mean, somebody celebrated scoring a goal with a Fortnite dance. They do that in the NFL. Like I, I, they do that in the NFL. Antoine Griezmann did, and then the World Cup, and everybody was going, "What the hell is that?" And then everyone looks at them like they're stupid. It's Fortnite, guys. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but I don't. I don't know. So let's, let's tie a bow on this because it's been it's been a great. Fun to have you here. Obviously, we've talked about so much. So, for you, I mean, everybody could find you uh, your name, Corey Snyder, on Twitter. Although you have to spell it because most people would not have assumed that your name is. It sounds different than how it's spelled. It's like Shushevsky. It's another Carolina thing.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I, it's easier to find me at Shutdown Line on Twitter.
0: Yeah, that's better. I keep forgetting so, what your handle is. I, yeah. I've only followed you and, and know you for like five or six years on Twitter, and it's like I keep thinking like. Wait, how long have I been on Twitter now and doing this? It's been almost nine years. And it's like, how many of the great discussions that I used to have on Twitter it's like, have gone away? Because like, I, I do now kind of don't focus on like my timeline. I'll tweet things and then look at responses from people and go and check the accounts I like. But I don't look at my timeline as much, except if it's for big events like the Super Bowl. Because I don't want to see political tweets all day. They, they bore me to death. And I don't want to get angry. I'm already angry at the Panthers enough. So it's like... <laughs> But it's like I remember, I go back and looked at some of my tweets when I go to the archives. Like I really had a good relationship with Cam Sharon on Twitter, and that was six years ago. Weird.
1: Well, that's a that's a real blast from the past there.
0: it was. Wow. I would look back. I'm like, wait, I, I had a I would make jokes with him all the time on Twitter, and it was fun.
1: Yeah, he was a uh, he was a uh, fun guy to uh, talk to. Or, like he was one of the. Well, we uh... can
0: still talk to him. We just can't do it publicly anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I haven't.
0: Sleuthing. Well, that's yeah, he, everybody now.
1: Yeah, he was definitely one of the. Uh, he was definitely one of the more funnier, like sarcastic. Uh,
0: well, we like, still have them, but I think the problem now is it's not a problem. I think like everybody's kind of like that now. Like it was different when most people weren't like that, but now everybody kind of is. So, I don't know. Oh, oh, and one word on the Oilers. Uh, we have to say this before we go. At least the Panthers and Hurricanes are not the Oilers. They might yeah. be the Oilers, but on a lesser scale.
1: Yeah, we'll see what the Oilers do now that Shirelli's gone now. But I don't know. They haven't exactly done a great job of hiring people to ruined that ship.
0: Um, and, I, and, I, and it's like, we need to get the Hague to charge the Oilers with a war crime so we can get Connor McDavid out of there.
1: It's like, I, to me, people are talking about how bad that situation is and how long they're going to take to turn it around but t- for to me if you get somebody in there that is competent and just has a general idea of what they're doing i think they could probably turn it around fairly easily because you still have Connor mcdavid and you still have dry Seidel and cleft bomb is a still is still a very good defenseman there's a few contracts you got to get rid of but i don't think it'll take like six years to turn that no, around
0: because as i said like one of the things I talked with with somebody about with the Panthers last year is no one thought they were going to be good as they were, and I thought it was going to take years to clean up that mess. Turns out it might still take that long, but they were much better last year than I thought they were going to be as quick as they got to be where they were. so
1: yeah, what I'm kind of noticing with what I'm kind of noticing is that it's a little easier to get yourself out of messes than it used to be in this league.
0: I think because we have now like some teams that don't spend all that much money and how you can like stash things on LTIR. You could get away with insurance, which means it might be on your cap, but you don't actually pay for it. Like there are tricks you could get. And I, that's what I was on 31 thoughts. I was listening to what John Chica was talking about. And he mentioned a lot of those things. And there, yeah. I think there is a little bit more creativity now than there is being given credit for in this league. And I think that we, we should celebrate it when it happens, but like maybe it's just because we're so jaded and so cynical as NHL fans because of all that's happened in this league. You know, we we don't we don't view it in that way. You know what I mean?
1: No, we kinda of just view it as we kind of view it as like teams just stashing players on LTIR or just uh taking on dead money to get rid of another team's problem. But they're also been a, it's like the HOSA thing. Or the but uh that's hosa fine. the, Ho- the Hosa tree. Yeah. But it's also the Hawkscape the Hawks gave Arizona, like a pretty good NHL player in henestroza. And another good one in, uh, well, Osterley is not exactly a great player, but he kind of failed. The Panthers
0: gave Lawson Krause to the Coyotes to get rid of Dave Boland. So
1: yeah, and well, that's what well Arizona was getting something from that trade too. So it wasn't them. Cap space is, I
0: think, much more of an asset than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I think we don't we don't think about we think of picks, we think of prospects, but cap space matters. Because it you could do a lot more with it, and as the cap continues to go up, cap space definitely matters. And we see what happens now with this with the NHL, with you know you have to pay players out of their entry levels like a billion trillion dollars, like Toronto's going to have to, and cap space becomes the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And it, well, and it, Car-
1: yeah, well Carolina they've they've used their cap space to their advantage too in the past, like with uh, with Ron Francis, like they got they. They got Tabo Terravine because they took on Brian Bickle's contract. I don't see any matching mm-hmm. And uh, they also. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, they, they also. Uh, I mean, even this Nino trade, like, that's finding a guy who. a team undervalued, like a good player who's under team control for a few more years, who has a track record, but just seemed to fell out of favor for some reason. And they got him for. A guy who they didn't want anymore and i don't know to me that was a really shrewd creative trade
0: well that's why and, i'd say the panthers trade was created too to yeah. circle back to the start because these mm-hmm. are two young players that weren't really working out and you know teams like young players and team control and the penguins got that and the panthers got what they wanted picks and cap space mm-hmm. and they yeah. could use that going forward and they didn't make their team worse Right. You know, so, and th- and that's what I think. Like, there are more, there is more creativity in NHL front offices that we give it credit for. I just think we're just so burnt out at this point by you know Peter Shirelli trading, you know, picks for Alex Petrovich, who was just god awful, and then for Brandon Manning, and you're just like, are you serious? And maybe it's just the worst that gets it. Gone. Maybe it's because now I think, I don't know, maybe it's Vegas that changed our, all of our opinions on this. Because maybe. Maybe it's because what they do, and now that we've got another expansion draft coming.
1: That will be interesting.
0: Well, how many teams are going to F that up the second time around? Because so many teams screwed it up and didn't play it right. I'm you surprised
1: know. they even, I'm surprised, or I don't know what the rules are yet. But I think
0: they're going to be the same rules. Just Because I thought they
1: it. would, I feel like the league is going to say, okay, you can't make trades with Seattle because you guys, you, you guys screwed it up the first time. We're not going to let you do it again.
0: I think, well, you can't to give the Seattle whatever there's going to be, Seattle Thunderbirds. No, they won't be the Thunderbirds, but it would be cool if they were. Uh, I think you can't have them get a different deal than what Vegas did. But mm-hmm. also, it's just like the league is more interesting because... And this is what I'll end on and why I've always enjoyed this league. And even though it's foibles, I always will. As a Florida Panthers fan, even though I'm incredibly cynical about the ownership of the team and the direction of the team, there is an opportunity that they have in the future to win. And they can win. Oh, yeah. Most other leagues, that just doesn't exist. Like, if you're a bad team in i'm not going to say the nba so let's just say major league baseball i mean what's happening in major league baseball is hilarious considering there's collusion going on and they're just deflating salaries and they're just trying to use them as cash registers now but it's like if you're a bad team you're not going to win because yeah. we always say the bad cells stay bad forever in the nhl that is not necessarily true and yeah that's i enjoy like... that about the nhl and i said listen most people are like oh we want dynasties and then when you know when Alabama and Clemson play for the fourth time in four years, everybody's burnt out at it. It's like, okay, I'm bored now. It's like people like dynasties to a point and then they don't want it anymore. And then they want to say like, can our teams win? I saw a tweet yesterday and this is the great way to end it. It's like somebody was like, if I rooted for it, this was in relation to the Knicks. It was like, if my team is bad, I'll just pick another favorite team. That's better. And I responded with, if sports fandom was rational then professional sports wouldn't exist.
1: Yeah. Like it's, it's like when you asked me about talent earlier, like I don't like a lot of what he's done, but you look at, you look at GMs around the league. There's a lot of, there's a lot of bad moves that have been made by everybody. And some of these teams, they still stay good because there's still one or two players on their roster who can change things on a dime in a sport like hockey. So to me, it's about like, it's almost like screwing up less is the goal. Like you don't have to do everything perfectly. And like, uh, I don't know. What, I don't know what my point is with this, but basically, yeah, bad. A team that is just a team that does everything wrong one year can still have a chance to win if they just don't do something incredible. If they don't touch like the top of their roster, like even
0: the Oilers, with how stupid and terrible they were, they well, that's still were in Game Seven of a Western Conference semifinal a couple years ago. Well,
1: yeah, that's what happened. They made one of the they made probably one of the worst trades of the past decade and they still made the playoffs because Connor McDavid is still on that team. And the
0: Ottawa Senators, I mean, we could say that they're one of the worst run teams in hockey right now and they might well be, but they were a goal away from the Stanley Cup final 2 years ago.
1: Yeah, that's that's just how that, it's, it's this the, the nature NFL of the two game.
0: Years ago also were the worst team in the history of the post 05 lockout era and now, I mean, they're not playing well right now, but they might have Jack Hughes come June
1: and they're still in a they're in a playoff race right now and they made the playoffs last year so
0: like that's like, the NHL and I and yeah. I like that about this league and, and that's why, why I'll is... we'll always be interested in it because the the games themselves and the competitive nature of it is compelling like there are teams that are terrible but there are you know we're not talking like out like you'll have teams that tank but even then like it's not like what baseball teams are doing or what some NBA teams are doing and just praying that it, it happens. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. because in the NHL you could still fix it pretty quickly. Like the Devils were garbage and then they made the playoffs. Like the Panthers at least have two fluke playoff appearances in the past couple of years. Yeah. The Hurricanes but, have won the Stanley Cup.
1: Yeah, well like that's the, that's what's frustrating about what about it from a Carolina perspective because they have they have the longest playoff drought of ever of any team. They haven't made the playoffs since oh nine. Ten years. But but right things are kind of fans are a little more optimistic now because they have their one C they have Aho they have Sveshnikov who is going to be hopefully like their hopefully like their 30 40 goal scorer so, there are players on this roster that can totally change the landscape of this team just down the blink of an eye like that. So, that's what that's kind of what we're hoping. That's, like, what the hope is right now for this team.
0: What's the hope so. is for everybody. And well, yeah,
1: but, like, Carolina never had – didn't have anything like that for a few years now. Yeah. Now they do. The Panthers that so.
0: Barkoff, and they've kind of wasted him. And I, I will end it on this. And, Corey, yeah. thank you so much for being here. And just – wow, this was fun. We should yeah. do more of these in the future If if Tommy's still busy with work things, which – who knows? We all are busy with work at time to time. Uh, it, it reminds me, of like, if people are making the argument that Connor McDavid should win the Hart Trophy, then you have to say the same thing about Alexander Barkov because he's doing the same thing for a team that's equally bad and equally disappointing. And Barkov, in many ways, does just as much. He doesn't score as much, but when you watch him play, I, I've always said, like, if you're going to make the McDavid for Hart argument, you have to make the Barkov for Hart argument in the same breath. And maybe I'm saying that wrong. Maybe I'm doing something I shouldn't do. But to me... After watching as much Barkov as I do, I'd like he's also like heart trophy good every single game because Bob Booger plays him 30 minutes and burns him to a crisp. <laughs> like I don't know if you I don't know how many games you've watched this year where Barkov looks like he's literally dead on his feet and he can't do anything because he's played so many minutes. I feel I feel so bad for him, but I love him to death also. And again, Dale Talon, archetype of bad GM, but took him over Jonathan Drouin and Seth Jones. And that's the best decision the franchise has made in, well, the best part of two decades. So, there you have it. That's, <laughs> that's hockey for you, to quote John Forslund. I, 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 I also didn't want to spend time talking about what happened with poor Kendall Coyne on, on Wednesday night. Uh, but, but John Forslund, very professional. Uh, I would love to have a candid moment to hear what he had to think about that. Like that was the producer saying in his ear. That that was just... That I was just was, awful I was watch. watching it a little bit before I went to go play Kingdom Hearts 3, which this entire day has distracted me from doing that. I just finished the Toy Story World, and it's very interesting. I, I'm having a lot of fun, and I've just seen an ad for it while we were recording this, and I saw the coin thing, and I went... Oh my God! I've seen like stuff at Nightmare on Elm Street that wasn't as terrifying as that.
1: Yeah, that was. Uh, I wish I could kind of remove that from my memory, but uh, uh, as it happened, it happened unfortunately. It like, happened,
0: like, and yeah. now we have the hockey world talking about it all the time. However, yeah, it's it's.
1: It's like they I don't know NBC tried to do something nice, and it just per- well, it just blew up. It up and, yeah, point. yeah,
0: and it well, I mean, like they'll they'll have her back on at some point.
1: Yeah, and like, I'm like, I, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about that except that it was just awkward. And like, it's, and be like, the NHL, it, it just kind of reminded me of the whole, even just like the whole thing at the All Star game. Cause like, you had, you invited, you invited players from the women's national teams from, you from the US and Canada to participate in it, but you didn't show them on TV you didn't show them compete. You didn't really let them compete in the events. You showed them demonstrating the events, which is like, Oops. okay. It's like, okay. But like,
0: you're like nobody. in practice, you can't get it right.
1: Yeah. It's like, nobody would have known they were there if, if it wasn't for Twitter and they could have done more with that. And then they, and then they don't, they have them donate money to charities instead of paying them. And it's money like money. I'm like, it's like you guys, it was right. There was an opportunity for you guys to do something pretty cool, and you, you just made a mess of it.
0: You kind of did, and then you effed it up. Oh, well, but that's but that's hockey, and, that, and we love this sport for all of its little foibles. And for those of us who have a, a field day calling it out, as I tend to do sometimes, hey, I, I can't I can't complain. I'm still doing hockey podcasts, even though I have never been angry at the Florida Panthers than I have been at sometimes this year. And you know what? I root for a college team that was called a dysfunctional viper pit and somehow the Panthers made me angrier. <sighs> I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's preposterous too, but well also you root, we, we, we both root for NFL teams that are also run by cataclysmically dumb people too. So, but let's not get into that because that would just be going down another rabbit hole the, and my, my recording says two hours. So, I've held oh, you for sheeps. too long. <laughs> uh, this happens. Tommy and I would do podcasts and we'd just go on for hours and hours and there you go. but, Corey, thank you. We'll do this again at some point because you're great. Again, you've yeah. got your stuff. Where can people find it? Not just your Twitter, but all the passing information because people should be reading that and using it to give themselves a better perspective on hockey that they don't have already.
1: Well, if you go to my Twitter page, um, you can, which is Shutdown Line, you can find a link to my Tableau profile, which has all the uh, – which has – all of the data that i've been tracking you can look at players on an individual level you can look at teams you can look at how everybody grades out in zone exits zone entries passes all that and if you want to support my work um you can go to my patreon page which is also on my twitter feed and you can uh pay seven dollars a month for access to the raw data which i update daily so you don't have to wait for me to upload everything on tableau and uh there's a lot of other stuff, like CJ Tutaro um also makes tableau player profile pages with the data that I collect. And those have been going around Twitter. I've been posting them a lot today for the uh Broussard trade. So uh I need to yeah. look at those. Yeah, and yeah, I just posted them like before I went on the podcast. <laughs> so um I need to focus on that now. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff I'm doing now. I also write about the Blackhawks and the Athletic. and, Probably gonna have an article out in the next couple of weeks or so about how they're doing under the about how they are playing under the new coach, how Dylan Strom is playing there, and uh, yeah, pretty busy these days.
0: That's I'm not, and I would is. give you money if I had money to give you because
1: I'm unemployed. <laughs> I know the feeling. Don't worry about it.
0: I know, I know, it's terrible, but we'll figure this all out as time goes on. But it's fun, and we this and again, why hockey podcast? We will be back. More podcasts in the future. Trust me, I know Tommy wants to say on this trade, and he—he's been talking to me about it. He's itching to get there. We'll get him back, and we'll have more. We're gonna have more people on the show like this going forward. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, it could always be worse. We could be rooting for the Oilers. <laughs>